Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are so glad you are joining us. This is episode 177. Uh, we are recording on Sunday, June 5th, 2022 at 3 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, thanks for welcoming us back. We were uh, out for a week, but that's okay. We're back now. And uh, yeah, I'm your host, Terry Plecknett. Joining me, we've got Todd, we got Zach. And to complete the group, we have Mr. Adam Daly with us today as well. How's it going, guys? What's going on? How are you guys? Ever, how's it doing? Good to be uh, part of the team again. Todd, you weren't on the, on here for this, but we were we were politely ball busting Adam for his facial hair. Uh, I said it was more of a Paul Bunyan look. Terry, what did you say? I said it was it was the the wild the wildling norther northerner from Game of Thrones. Okay, that was more, Eric. It's more like that. He was on motion. like the Wyndham commercials. Yeah, you know, the, remember the kind of looks yeah. like uh, what was the Bucky Jacobson. Like oh, oh yeah, there we go, Bucky. You guys remember those stop motion Christmas movies? There was a guy that had a big old, <laughs> big old red head, bushy beard. Yeah, that's the guy. Yeah, if you I also like look that. a little like Rudolph. Yeah, I, I told my daughter that her school asked me to grow my beard out and be a Santa Claus for Christmas, and she's so embarrassed by that. She's like, "I no, do not show up to my school as Santa Claus for Christmas." That, that means you have to do it now. I kind of have to. <laughs> Well, we've got a lot to cover today. We've got a lot to go through. So we're going to hop right into this. Uh, Zach, I'm going to start with you. What are you drinking? I'm drinking some water because I had to sober up for this podcast. That's how much fun I've been having. Yeah, yeah. No, you got to tell you got to tell the real reason. You have to tell the real reason. here. The real reason? Because, yeah. oh, because, okay, uh, I'm, I'm in my classroom today because um, I'm dog sitting at the house and uh I don't really want the dog barking to make an appearance on the podcast today. And what I told Terry is that one of the most unrealistic things about Minority Report is that there's no scenes where someone is contemplating murder after living with three dogs for six days in a tiny house. <laughs> because that's realism right there. Maybe by 2054 they solved that problem. They, they, must have. they must have. So why did you sober up? If you were drinking earlier, why didn't you just like pre-funk the podcast or something? I should have. Reg hashtag regrets. <laughs> Todd, what are you drinking? Uh, I have some whiskey and Seven Up. Sort of a staple. Classy. Very nice. Very nice. Adam. Well, I actually am able to drink. I would have been in my truck on location up in Seattle at an the film shoot up there because I would have to be working. But I was able to train the guy to do the job um, yesterday to do the job tonight, so I can be here. And I can actually drink. So I'm drinking some Irish whiskey in honor of Colin Farrell. So there, there we go. go. So so you you said film shoot. You got to give us a little more context. I mean, I, I've oh, seen yeah. you post this a little bit, but what what film is this? Okay, well it's not more like a film. So I I work for Honey Bucket, and this is actually a season two of a TV show that Minnie Kaling writes for HBO Max called The Sex Lives of College College Girls. So oh. So yeah, we had the big contract up there. So we, I had to be up there. I was up there this morning. I was up there last night and yesterday morning. 
And tonight I was just like, hey, can you, you're going to be good to go tomorrow, right? This is pretty easy, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I got this. I'm like, okay, cool. Don't screw it up, please. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know and, uh, that was shot in Seattle. Yeah, it was uh, right at UW. Yeah, we were parking lot right in that big N18 parking lot. Then we went up to the music building and then right off of Rainier Vista, that big old open uh, grassy area there. We couldn't get access to units there today because they actually had, they were currently filming. So they said, no, thank you. So it's pretty, yeah, so nice. pretty cool. You got to get Mindy on the podcast, obviously. And obviously. Uh, can, can we deep dive your episodes? You know, because I mean, you, it seems like you're pretty <laughs> integral to the process. Yeah, yeah, I was in there. The guy Andy showed me in the background. He's like, "That's the that's the makeup trailer. That's this the, whatever." And I was like, "Cool, right on." He's like, "Whenever you're in California, just let us." I was like, uh, "Wait, hold on, pump the brakes here." <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, for me, I am drinking. I went to Ridge Walker and I got this is one of my favorite summer beers they have. This is their regular Long Strides IPA, but they add some pineapple to it for the summer. And this is Long Strides on the beach. Nice. And I figured, I mean, we're talking about Top Gun Maverick today and long strides on the beach. I felt like that was that was appropriate, an appropriate beer to have. Miles yeah, not, not a both ways football or whatever they call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what was going on there. All right. It's like watching rugby. It's, and like, it's I, I team was, building. It's exciting. It's whatever it is. and defense at the same time. <laughs> whatever it is, it's exciting. It's better than volleyball. Well, uh, make sure you're subscribing, rating, reviewing all over the internet, wherever you can find the podcast. You can, you can find it everywhere. And uh, the more you uh, subscribe and you rate and you review, the uh, more likely we can be seen by more people. Let's get into what we've been watching this week. And we are going to start with Todd. All right. Uh, I'm going to do one of my just like obligatory uh, film independent screener reviews that I've gotten. This one was nice. uh, for a movie directed by Noam Tomashoff, and it's called Tank House. Uh, it is about these two characters, Tucker and Sandrine. Sandrine's a pretty name for an industrial solvent. That's all I could think of when I was <laughs> watching that. Uh, but uh, played by Tara Holt and Stephen Friedrich, and they play best friends and their uh, colleagues who get kicked out of their theater school in new york and so they decide they're gonna take off for fargo and start their own uh the sporting cast has like christopher lloyd joey lauren adams and richard kind uh, but uh the, the actors are funny they have a kind of wacky chemistry together they play it up to be like a sitcom a little bit too much they it's like they think they're the second coming of christopher guest characters or something but um it definitely is a parody parody of like theater nerds and uh it has a unique tone and wavelength. I just was never really on the same page as it, but I could see it having some sort of cult life if it has the right streaming network. The because the characters kind of come off the way Shit's Creek does. I mean, maybe Eugene Levy should have been in it, honestly. But um, I, I, I could see it being good if if it ends up on the on the right network. But uh, I, I I can't see this being like a big hit in the, at the box office. But I mean, eventually, I could see it being okay. But it's a it's a two star movie for me. But we'll see if it has a life. Very nice, very nice. I mean, it sounds like a great Toddcast. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, I haven't seen Joy Lauren Adams in anything in forever. <laughs> uh, good, good. All right. Well, I'm gonna go next. Uh, I, I had my. Uh, I, we took a week off, so I have a couple anniversary movies to talk about, and I'm gonna. Um, I'll go. I'll go quick because I kind of have a lot to talk about with one of them. But the first one uh, was actually my. The first one I'll talk about is my watch for this week. Uh, it was a documentary nomination from 20 years ago in 2002. It's called Daughter from Da Nang. 
and it is a documentary about this um it it kind of tells a story through this one uh this one family of how after the vietnam war a lot of um a lot of vietnamese children were um were sent by their parents to america to be adopted some of them were mixed race that had been uh that were their fathers were american soldiers some were just ones that they knew they weren't going to be able to take care of in the post-war vietnam uh and it's a story of one of them who 22 years after she was sent away from vietnam returns to uh reunite with her long lost family and uh it doesn't go as planned and uh, there's a lot of interesting twists and turns in there and really ends up being kind of a heartbreaking story. Uh, it's a three star uh, documentary. It it takes a while to get going. And it's a it's a it is a long 83 minute movie. I will say that. Wow. Uh, but it is a it is a Not really good. powerful story. So um, so three star documentary there. OK, so then two uh, two weeks ago, my Oscar anniversary watch was from 10 years ago and let me let me see here i'm gonna see if you guys can get it and then you'll be able to tell me why it's a. Uh, um i think adam knows what i'm talking about here because I, I mentioned something but um let's see here it was nominated for one oscar 10 years ago and that oscar was for that's not it it was for i think it was for sound or no visual effects it was for visual effects a sole visual effects mm, that, nominee from that narrows it down. You're after no. Oh, I thought I was I've right. Seen, I've oh. seen that one. Okay, John <laughs> Carter. No, no. Lone, I was thinking it's Lone Ranger, Ranger, but no. It is, uh, Transformers. No, uh, like three. No, four? I did that. Oh, one. No, that no, one was Alien. Recently. It's Prometheus. Prometheus. That's yeah, right. I, I, I don't know. Is it? Yeah, we kind of had talked about Prometheus. Yeah, we, we so. talked about this a little bit. He also knocked off Alien Three. Though, I had never time. seen. I had never seen an Alien movie. So did you watch and all so of them? I I haven't gotten to to Alien Covenant yet, but yes, I watched Alien, Aliens, nice. Alien Three, Alien Resurrection, and Prometheus over the last week and week and a half, two weeks. <laughs> and man, what a ride that was. Um. The, the first two movies are incredible. Uh, the first Alien, it's so it's so like gritty and and uh, claustrophobic and just dark and uh, and just just a really cool film. The second one is is totally like the the Terminator Two Judgment Day of the Alien series because it uh, is James Cameron comes in and makes this like this glossy. Uh, Hollywood uh, sequel, but it has this amazing heart to it, and it's really cool story, and is just a fun ride to watch. That one was actually my favorite, and of course, since James Cameron did it, and it was in the eighties and or nineties, Bill Paxton's in it as well. Um, Alien game over, man, game over, <laughs> game over, dude. Um, uh, then Alien Three, I, the David Fincher directorial debut. It's okay. It's fine. It, they're trying way too hard to to eke out another sequel, and um, but it's got a it's got a satisfying ending to it. Um, so so very interesting movie there. The fourth one is a joke, uh, and it it it's it's taking it it it's like campy, ridiculous silliness, but it doesn't realize it is, and it's taking itself seriously at times. I mean, it it's 
it's one of those just like awesomely bad movies you throw on. It's like, you want to watch a bad movie? Let's watch Alien Resurrection. And 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 you can sit there and laugh at it because it's that bad. Um, so that's that one. And then you get to Prometheus, which is like the prequel that starts everything. And it takes on such a completely different tone. First, um, I didn't realize how great of a robot Michael Fassbender was going to be, but he's he's pretty amazing as a robot. Um, no, Nomi Rapace is awesome in it. But this movie, this goes away from everything that makes the alien movies great and that it, it's it's the these there's this monster that's after them and and you have these kind of comic characters and it's a it's a little silly but it's a little scary and and it's just a fun thrill ride this is like like dark and depressing and then you realize that it's an alien movie i mean it doesn't it doesn't fit it doesn't fit with the rest of the franchise it doesn't bring out any of the tone of what makes the other ones so great and so much fun. And I, I really was bored by it and uh, I don't understand. I haven't watched alien covenant yet, but I don't understand how this was uh, good enough to warrant a, uh, a, a sequel to the prequels in alien covenant. So um, we'll have to see how, how that one goes, but I'm given Prometheus two stars. Um, and um, it's, it's the uh, let's see here of the five I've watched. It's it's fourth. I, I go aliens, alien, alien three, Prometheus, and then alien resurrection. So wow. okay. that, 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 that's where I'm at so far. And we'll see where alien covenant lands when I get a chance to watch it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'll tell you why fun... you're wrong. Let me <laughs> just, just kidding. <laughs> that was a fun time 10 years ago when everybody debated Prometheus. I, it seems like it was yeah. just yesterday, but either you loved that movie or you hated it. There was nothing no really in between. And it was every, everybody had an irrational reaction to it, uh, whether you agreed with them yeah. or not, it felt like. Very true. And Alien Covenant was kind of the same way. Like I enjoyed Prometheus and Alien Covenant. Um, so I have those a little higher than you ha- have them. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree with your other takes. I, I, I think I have my top 100. I have Alien above Aliens, which was kind of a controversial thing to say, just like Reservoir Dogs above Pulp Fiction in my top 100. Those are my two hot takes there. But uh, both of those movies are just fantastic. Um, but don't forget the PS4 Alien Isolation that makes expands everything so much more. Claustrophobia at its finest. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Get that out of there. <laughs> I love that you just happen to have that within reaching distance to just pull into the podcast right there. That was great. That was great. All right, yeah, see, Adam. I, oh, go ahead. Oh, I, just, go ahead, I was going to say, I just like Prometheus because I remember at, uh, Todd didn't. And uh, I didn't know you, Adam, so don't shake your head. But I'm sure had we known each other at that time, we would have teamed up against Todd. Because Prometheus is a good movie. I just remember tarantino's criticism of it which is that it was a good movie up until the point when they say come here you good little snakey oh you're so cute and then uh, it apparently <laughs> ruins all realism that has been developed up to that point in the first hour of the movie but uh, i remember enjoying it i really don't remember anything about it except for just you know go, uh, res- uh being contrarian to all the haters it's a great cast too like even the even those goofy characters I mean that you look at you look back on it that was uh Sean Harris and Rafe Spall like they actually are decent actors now so uh, it it's it's kind of a crazy uh crazy cast to look back on Todd you're in agreement with me on Prometheus Yeah I think we might even have like the same ranking of the movies so <laughs> Nice We're in agreement I I've watched all of them once I did blow through the fir- the first four all within a week of each other back like I don't know probably 12 years ago 
So, but from what I remember, I I'm I'm in agreement with you. I I loved Aliens. Aliens is the best one for sure. Well, like I said, it's it's the it's the T two of the Alien series. Well, yeah, I mean, and it got a Best Actress nomination. Like movies like that don't ever get acting nominations. Yeah, yeah. All right, Adam, what did you watch? All right, so on daily notes, I'm gonna just gonna do. I still have to do a daily notes episode because we have to wrap up Jurassic Park franchise there before Jurassic World Dominion. But I'm gonna reveal my blind spot. Watch the random spin of the wheel was for 1997, starring Keanu Reeves, Charlize Theron, and Al Pacino. That's The Devil's Advocate, directed by Taylor Hackford this oh, week. Funny. So uh, this movie is was kind of really interesting. Obviously, Keanu Reeves plays this plays as a lawyer who never loses. He goes against sometimes uh, how he truly feels about a case, even though he knows a person's guilty. He still gets them that win there, especially that very traumatic opening sequence was or, or just kind of like had my mouth on the floor there. But uh, Al Pacino plays this head guy who is in charge of this big law firm, a big firm of some kind, and brings in Keanu here and things start to slowly unravel it's revealed that yeah he's the devil uh and it's, it's very fascinating i think keanu reeves with an accent is in, very interesting that southern drawer that he tries to have in this movie charlie's Theron didn't even know she was in this movie until i turned it on i uh, really i always like charlie's so seeing her al pacino's over the top like the yeah, 90s pacino should be and i really liked i i enjoyed the movie for what it is it got you thinking at the end i like how it kind of had a cop out at the very ending of it, but I didn't don't think it really takes away from the movie. A lot of uh, nudity in the movie uh, was more than I thought it would have. Uh, but yeah, anyway, I, I think it was a good time. It was an interesting watch. I, I'll give it three stars. Uh, something that I probably would like. I, I probably wouldn't mind checking out because it's held my interest and uh, I could probably pick up a little bit more things on it as well. So yeah, I, I enjoy Keanu and Charlize alone. So yeah, three stars for The Devil's Advocate. And I would also, for next Daily Notes, it's going to be Air Force One and Jurassic World fallen kingdom to wrap it up that was kind of my my three films this week but i want i wanted to talk about devil's advocate because i know todd's seen it so yeah i don't necessarily remember it that well i wanted to rewatch it but i i didn't know that you were going to review it on our podcast so oh. but well i wasn't i wasn't either but i had only seen three movies and it was just for the podcast episode <laughs> i was like well I, I better have something to talk about might as well just do that one well i think you have to give thumbs up to any movie where al pacino is in a place where there's fire. <laughs> yeah, I do that that ending. I was like, what? Oh, oh wow. Okay, they went there. Nice. Okay, they uh they did uh yeah that they just got that. a great ass. No, I have the wrong. That's from Heat. But I think the, uh, he, men he mentions his daughter having a good looking body in the movie. I just throw that out. <laughs> so anyway, move on. All right. Very nice. <laughs> Zach, what'd you I watch? I was gonna say, it, was it the same accent that Keanu was trying to do in Bram Stoker's Dracula? Because I think that could have been misinterpreted as a Southern accent. But um, <laughs> no. although I, I think he was trying to do a British accent, if I remember correctly, uh, the movie I watched this week is actually a movie that came out like recently. As a, uh, so, well, I guess Todd reviewed a recent movie. Um, it is a movie called Crimes of the Future, which is a perfect oh. title for a, a deep dive podcast on Minority yeah, Report. Yeah which could also be called Crimes of the Future. Anyway, this is the latest film from David Cronenberg. We know him. We love him. We all love a history of violence. My number one movie of 05. Are, are you I'm sure you watched sarcastic. the right Cronenberg Crimes of the Future movie? Well, that's because there's two of them. Because there's, there's two of them, just like there's two deadfalls. Dead and moment, I, yeah. I might, it, there was a deadfall moment when crashes. I accidentally 
watched almost watched the 1970 like exploitation movie instead of going to the theater and watching this one. But I, I, I did not make that mistake <laughs> twice. I like to think I learned from my mistakes, uh, like Hillary Swank said at the Oscars. Um, anyway, so uh, crimes 2022 crimes of the future uh, takes place in the future, believe it or not. And there are crimes that are committed, but they're not necessarily illegal. Um, in the future, um, this is the most Cronenberg plot of all time. In the future, no one gets turned on by sex uh, or car crashes, believe it or not. They get turned oh, no. on by body mutilation. Yeah, this is a David Cronenberg movie, by the way. And uh, there are these um, performance artists, and they're played in the movie by Leah Sadu and uh, Viggo Mortensen. And um, they uh, like to, she likes to remove organs from his body and call it performance art. And in the future, that's how people get really turned on and excited. And it's pretty exciting to watch. And Kristen Stewart in the movie is sort of this fangirl who goes to their performance art and, and sees them. Um, you know, it's a, there, are, there are some minority report overlaps. One is that there is a dead son involved in the movie. I won't say how. It's not Viggo Mortensen's son. And uh, there's also a doctor who likes to take out body parts. Not quite to the level of Dr. Solomon Eddy, who we will talk about a little bit later, but like Solomon Eddy, he likes to, there are people in this movie who like to remove body parts for the performance art of it because Dr. Solomon Eddy burned his patients and recorded them and did it because people did it for an audience back in 2054. Anyway, uh, this movie is nutso. I don't know. I feel like if you, it's probably a good movie if you've never seen a Cronenberg movie or if you love David Cronenberg. If you're somewhere in the middle like I am, it's kind of like been there, done that. I like Crash and Existence a little better. It's kind of the same as those movies in a lot of ways. And a little bit of Dead Ringers thrown in there. I give it two and a half stars. It, it, it's, it's interesting. I think I liked it more than I'd want to admit. But, you know, it's it, good time. Not as good as Al Pacino in Hell, but uh, maybe along the same lines. I want to see on the, I, uh... on the movie poster for Crimes of the Future an almost sideways quote, this film is nutso. <laughs> I would love to, to get that one. That'd, that'd be good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my wife had saw it with me and she was like, what the hell was that? And I was like, I mean, I've seen David Cronenberg before. So if you've never seen it, David Cronenberg before, that's probably going to be a reaction. If you've seen his other films, it's kind of like been there, done that. It's kind of like a Greatest Hits album, which is not bad. He hasn't made a movie in a long time, so it's nice to see him back. We should watch his son's film that he did a couple years ago, uh, Brandon Cronenberg's film, Processor. Yeah, that's a really yeah. good one. I, yeah, okay. that's, really I, good. I, that's been on my list, yeah. That was all tight. The fringe top 10 of that i think it was i think it did get knocked out though but that's a great movie too i can't say i love all of cronenberg's movies but they are never boring yeah that's true except for yeah. except for that one with uh 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 robert pattinson that one was boring the one reason a limo cosmopolis yeah that one i turned off but the others yeah, are all interesting good. well maps to maps to the stars that one was very good either like i yeah i think i, I turned know. that one off too okay take back my statement <laughs> On a, on a poster, right. almost sideways, retracted. Yeah, or redacted, sorry. There All right, let's move on. It is time for our featured review. And for a featured review, I mean, it's been out for a week, but it's the movie everyone's talking about. Like, nothing came out in theaters this week because everyone knew this was still what everyone was going to be talking about. We are reviewing Top Gun Maverick. This is your captain speaking. And we're off. Here we go. In three, two, one. The long-awaited sequel to Top Gun, 
Um, not only in that it took a while for them to finally put make a sequel, but this film has been sitting on the shelf for over two years after COVID. Like this was supposed to come out like Memorial Day of 2020. And then it just kept getting pushed back, kept getting pushed back. And I mean, they're kind of geniuses now that you look at it with how much money it's making. It made like 120 million the first weekend. They just announced it made 85 million the second weekend, wow. which is the lowest drop off for a hundred plus million dollar debut, like in the history of the box office. So let's talk about it. <clears throat> I'm starting this out because, as they said, I had boy. Top Gun in my top 100 of all time. So I have to be the one that talks about Top Gun Maverick first. So, yes, Maverick, Pete Mitchell, played by Tom Cruise, is at the center of this, obviously. And uh, we we meet him, and he's hasn't really moved up at all in the last 30 years. He's in the exact same spot he had always been, and he is uh, continuing to, to uh, be a pilot. Uh, the only reason he is continuing to be a pilot is because Iceman, played by Val Kilmer, which is great. It was great to oh, see him yeah. on screen, um, is like an admiral now and has huge sway and keeps him uh, keeps him in a job, basically. But he gets called back to Top Gun to train a group of Top Gun graduates for a very special mission that kind of looks like it is impossible. And so they need the best of the best, and they need the best of the best to be trained by the most reckless pilot that they have, and that's Maverick, to try and see if they could pull off this crazy mission that they have planned. And so uh, among those those uh, fighter pilots that he's training, you have um, you have guys like uh, oh let's see here Hangman played by Glenn Powell. Uh, you've got Phoenix played by Monica Barbaro. You've got Bob played by Lewis Pullman. And of course you have Rooster played by Miles Teller, who is the son of Goose. And so you've got a whole bunch of, of stuff going on there. Um, you get a whole bunch of like family dynamic there. Um, you, you get a lot of call, a ton, a ton of callbacks to the first movie. Um, it is just like dripping with nostalgia in so many different spots. Um, but it works. It works in this for some reason. It, it, it is able to like capture some of the magic of the first one, but also update it. Um, and uh, it, it, it gets a little crazy when you get to the third act and they're actually like on the mission. And it, it's a little like unbelievable and like, oh, really, we're doing this and... But I mean, so so you have that. The, when I finished finished the movie, what I said to myself was, "This is not a. This is a good movie. It it it's my. It might be a great movie. It is not a perfect movie, but it is a perfect sequel to Top Gun. Like I couldn't have imagined a a better take on putting out a sequel to Top Gun than what they did with Top Gun Maverick." It, it works in every way it needed to work, uh, if you, um, especially if you're a fan of the original Top Gun. Uh, all of them are, are great. Tom Cruise is, is awesome in this. Jennifer Connelly, play, who plays Penny, his love interest, does a great job and looks somehow better than she's ever looked before. Um, and uh, all, the, all the young pilots are awesome. John Hamm is, is great, as always. Um, yeah, three and a half stars for me on Top Gun Maverick. Like I wow. said, it's it's a it's very very good. 
it's not perfect, but it is a perfect sequel. Like I couldn't have asked for much more from what they were going to put out for a sequel. Like it's one of those, the expectations were here and it actually met the expectations pretty well. So that's where I'm at with Top Gun Maverick. We're going to go to Zach next because I have a feeling he, if of all of all of us, he's probably going to be the furthest to the opposite of what I think. So Zach, how was Top Gun Maverick? Well, I'll preface this by saying that uh, I did not grow up with Top Gun. The first time I saw it was in preparation for our podcast. Uh, I really am not familiar with the legacy of the movie. Um, I didn't even really remember that uh, uh, Goose died. I, I had to, uh, the movie certainly reminded us of that numerous times. Um, but uh, you forget so I, Goose died. I don't, I don't remember. I know Anthony Edwards from ER. I don't remember him in uh, 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 the first Top Gun. Anyway, um, so I went to the theater and it's a packed theater. And I'm watching, the, I'm watching the first five minutes of this movie, and I'm thinking, did they accidentally show the original 1985 Top Gun? Because the first five minutes are the <laughs> exact same, like verbatim exact same. Here was the surprising thing, though, about it. Uh, I was, like, kind of getting in the mood. It was kind of <laughs> like the speed opening credits. I was kind of getting the, the juices flowing. You know, the, 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 the flowers were blooming in Houston. I was like, yeah, man, this is kind of awesome. Like, th this is a great way to open a movie. You got that music, those chimes, the the, 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 dr the drum. You got the, the great footage of the carrier and all the pilots. And I decided that I'm not going to be a cynical asshole and I'm going to enjoy this movie. And God damn it, I did. I thought it was actually a pretty yes. good movie. And I'm also giving it three and a half stars. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. Do it. Come on. I, Go ahead. I had, to, I had to turn my brain off uh, during much of this movie. And admittedly, I also fell asleep during it. Uh, <laughs> I did not How? See, it was so loud. <laughs> I know. I did, not, I did not see the part where Rooster played the piano. Somehow I slept through that whole sequence. Did he play You Lost That Love and Feeling on the piano? No, he played Great Balls of Fire, okay, which is what I, Goose plays when he plays the piano in the first one. I At, at about the half hour mark, I was like, yeah, it, it's interesting. I think, I'll, I think I'll doze off for a little bit until this movie starts going somewhere. And that was the best point to take a nap because I will say the movie has a fantastic final 45 minutes. I mean, it's very exciting being up there in those fighter jets with all those actors and, you know, obviously, it, this is a meta commentary on Tom Cruise's career. And, you know, this movie was shelled because they didn't want to put it on streaming platforms. And Tom Cruise did all of his stunts. And we've all seen the YouTube clip with him and James Corden. And, you know, it, it's it's um, you take you take that all with a grain of salt. And, you, and it goes into the experience of watching the movie. And they just don't make movies like this anymore. Movies. And I will I'll also say, like, I, I first of all, I like this movie more than the original Top Gun. I like that it is not corny. I mean, I was I, I was expecting total cornball. I was expecting another uh, soliloquy by Tarantino on the homoerotic uh, themes of it. And there just wasn't that in this movie because this movie actually takes its characters more seriously. I absolutely agree. I thought Jennifer Connelly was terrific in it. Way, way better than Kelly McGinnis. The scene with Iceman lived up totally to ex exceeded mm -hmm. expectations. That was a beautiful moment. And uh, yeah, I mean, Okay, is the premise of the movie very much like Star Wars on the Death Star? Yes. 
Uh, are there <laughs> long passages and story arcs from the original Top Gun incorporated in this movie? Yes. Uh, would you have told me, would, would I have known that Pete Mitchell was Maverick's real name? No. Uh, it sounds like a substitute math teacher or something. But uh, I was fully invested in it. I had a great time watching it. I'm giving it three and a half stars. And I think it, it might actually make it another appearance on maybe one of our, our other to Tom Cruise power rankings later in the show because I thought he was terrific in it. Wow. Okay. Kind of a great movie. Awesome. All right. You have to turn your brain off, but it, you know, the, the, the lack of jingoism was nice. I, I saw someone post somewhere. It's like for, for a movie once again, to be a sequel dripping with nostalgia. It's weird that you also feel like they don't make movies like this anymore at the same time. It, it, it's kind of funny how both those can happen as you think about Top Gun Maverick. All right, Adam, we're going to you next. Where are you at All with right. Top Gun Maverick? Uh, so Top Gun Maverick, I, again, I watched the first original Top Gun, and I, I've enjoyed that girl growing up. I watched it with my dad, so I have some decent memories there. But it was never one of my favorite like Tom Cruise movies. Not, I'm not like super nostalgic over it. Uh, however, uh, Top Gun Maverick was always on my radar to enjoy and watch, and I was I, had, I was super excited and nervous, and rightfully so, to go into the theater because being pushed back is usually a bad thing. But it, it paid off. I absolutely love this movie as well, and I think Tom Cruise gives a great performance as Maverick here. The scene with Iceman, had, you know, how to fight back tears, especially after watching the documentary Val, because you know everything that he's going through and when i didn't know he was actually going to be in the movie until you see his name in the credits uh that was or in the opening credits that was pretty dang awesome to see val kilmer with his name again and uh miles teller probably goes my one of my favorite performances uh for sporting characters this year i think he perfectly embodied anthony edwards uh he looked just kind of pretty much just like him and uh miles teller is just phenomenal glenn powell plays you know the the awesome foe to him kind of one of the, the biggest d-bags turned uh kind of like Han Solo type characters in this uh, bringing up Star Wars again. Uh, but uh, I love this movie, especially. And then having the three different composers all do different parts in the movie too, which is also very interesting. Yeah. The people call back to the original composers, Hans Zimmer and Lady Gaga also composed music for this too, which is uh, interesting. Uh, I have, I've had her song played on replete the hold my hand song. Uh, I'm at, uh, well, depending on what, are, can you change your, your rating Zach and I'll change mine. What? Just do it. Just give it to four. Give it a four stars. Oh, I'm not, I can't give it four stars. I fell asleep okay. during like 30 minutes. Okay. Well, that's true. <laughs> I didn't know that information before that. Okay. I'm three and a half stars too. Yeah. I'm three and three and a half stars. Uh, this is one that I definitely wanted to do a rewatch too. Cause I saw it opening weekend and I think my wife and I were the youngest people in there, which is <laughs> oh, yeah, kind of funny. Yeah. 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 It was like, uh, it was what was like a two o'clock showing. So on a Saturday, which is kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was awesome. The, the whole theater, the people that were in there, I uh, really enjoyed it. It was like really good uh, atmosphere too for the film. So I uh, definitely cannot wait to rewatch this. And yeah, it's, it's a, it's a way far superior than the first movie. I, I've already got plans to go see it again next Friday. Todd, you're the last one. Is this going to be a, a quad approved movie? Yeah, I think it's our first quad three and a half star movie oh. ever. <laughs> I mean, I, I love this movie. I was trying to think of what the first movie to be one of these like super nostalgic, like move made by fans of the original, like people who grew up with it and like make it take the conventions of it and make it something special. I think Toy Story 3 is the first one of those. But I can't I don't know. I don't know if there was one before that. But like then you start going, you know, Creed or Ghostbusters, all these movies are sort of 
in this line. Uh, I really like the trend, but it just kind of cements the fact that Hollywood has really no fully original ideas anymore. But this movie kicks ass. It's way less corny than the original. It's kind of more funny and I, I, it's obviously more realistic. And the setup is totally Mission Impossible. And I love how they basically say, you need two miracles to happen. This thing, it's impossible, but it needs to happen. And this is impossible, and it needs to happen. And then if you get through that somehow, you're, you're probably going to pass out, and then you get missiles launched at you from point blank range. <laughs> and it, it was absolutely explaining the Mission Impossible plot. And um, But what I love is that you actually understood the mission. The first one, like mm-hmm. they're just like faceless like pilots. like They're fighting for some reason, but they don't really explain anything. This is like yeah, we understood exactly. what we were doing. Um, I wanted more Ed Harris. Like, uh, he's, he's taking the place of the James Tolkien character. Cause like, he's like 90 and he couldn't be in this movie. But like when, when he was uh, talking to Maverick, uh, based, uh, sending, he's like, only things known to, you know, God and your guardian angels, you're going back to Top Gun. All I kept thinking of was Ice Cube and 21 Jump Street. Like you two motherfuckers are going back to high school. You know, but I, I think Kelly Miguelis is sort of missed, but like the obscure callback to bring in uh, Jennifer Connelly in like she is <laughs> yeah. the Admiral's daughter like that's pretty awesome uh I was I don't know I was kind of like fighting back emotions throughout the movie I, I uh, like it really served nostalgia well with character development without putting it over the top and Miles Teller is fantastic like Rooster is a complex character I wanted a little more of like weird stuff like I wanted him to like question him about his dad's dog tags like why'd you chuck those chuck those in the ocean like shouldn't you have given those to my mom or something or like um but I, I knew that eventually he was going to ride Maverick's tail. But I mean, the way they did it came together like beautifully. I and I like how Rooster and Hangman are both sort of both Iceman and Maverick. Like Rooster is conservative, but he's also a little unstable. Hangman is like the hot shot with an ego, but he's clearly Iceman and how cool and collected he is. But and the movie just it it, it works. Like I mean, it, it, it's it's our future. Oscar winner for sound and editing because they're always interlocked now. It's yeah, three and a half star movie. I loved it. My heart was pounding the entire time. When, when Maverick actually runs the training course, that was the most intense thing I've seen in yeah. the theater in at least five yeah. years. Yeah, cool. Where did where does it rank on your 2022 list, guys? I think it's number two for me right now. Five. Yeah. Five. Uh, I have it. I have it in like the two to three range because Batman and Kimmy were kind of like I really love those films too. So it looks like I have it. It's either four or five. I haven't cemented it in there yet. Yeah. One of the things I realized as I was watching this is is I mean Miles Teller is Todd's guy. Like we've talked about that before. Um, I I think as much as Miles Teller is Todd's guy, Glenn Powell might be my guy because I he is just so much fun whenever he's on screen. And he's just so much fun to watch. And I'm like, why isn't this guy getting more, more good roles? I mean, he's got a couple things in production right now, but I mean, from everybody wants some to him playing John Glenn in hidden figures. And now he's, he's here. He's just awesome. And he needs to be in more stuff. So he's got a movie coming out later this year where he plays a pilot again with Jonathan majors. So, um, Uh, I I want to see that. Um, but, uh, yeah. He needs, he needs to be doing more stuff because he's awesome. Nice. Yeah, I want to echo what Todd said. I, I thought this movie was oddly involving in terms of its mission. And now, you know, missions and movies are just a, they're all a pretext. You know, it's just a, an excuse to get actors in CGI suits and, and green screen backgrounds and explosions. This was a, actually a really interesting mission. 
and it was a fairly simple mission in some ways, and it was very easy to follow, but but that made it more compelling. And I love that this movie was grounded in that storyline. It wasn't about Maverick trying to prevent a nuclear launch or something outrageous. Uh, it, it, I, I wish more action movies realized that the simpler uh, the storyline is, oftentimes the more compelling it is. And then the other thing I wanted to say was, like, yeah, yes, I mean, people have compared it to, you know, a creed or, you know, the, the, the comparison that I thought was kind of a weirder one. It's I thought of like West Side Story watching this and the way that it in a lot of ways, almost a shot for shot remake in some ways, but in other ways not. And it honored the original. I think it, it, it would get you excited to see the original and it improved upon ways in which the original didn't hold up that well. So uh, mm. I thought just. just Great job all around. I don't even like Christopher McQuarrie or Joseph Kaczynski. This is by far the best thing they've ever done. And uh, I think it holds up to any of the Tom Cruise Mission Impossible movies. I still like the first one better. I think it, it just holds that nostalgia place. And I can't I can't really get past that. But uh, but yeah, I, I agree with with what with what you're saying, too. By the way, uh Here's the funny thing about this getting delayed so much. So Joseph Kaczynski uh, has a new movie coming out next weekend or no, two weekends on Netflix uh, that once again has Miles Teller and Charles Parnell in it because apparently they're just his guys. Uh, and uh, yeah, we may need to we may need to look at that one. It's called Spiderhead. Well, yes, but, uh, Joseph Kaczynski. Yeah, by the way, he's a smart guy because he did uh, Oblivion and also did Only the Brave, which both had Miles Teller and then also Tom Bruce and Oblivion. So I thought that was pretty mm -hmm. cool that they just he just has those. Only the Brave is a really good one too. But yeah, good, good little director. So, Can we also shout out, shout out the shout out to Tony Scott at the end was good too. What did yeah. you say, Todd? Yes, we should we needed Slider in this movie or Slider's son or something, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you stink. <laughs> I, I would have given it four stars had we had a little more homoeroticism. That was the thing that was missing from it for me. But I will say, Miles Teller in this movie is jacked. I, I was not expecting him to be uh, jacked. The way. He didn't even look that jacked with his clothes on. But my goodness, when we get to that beach scene, I mean, wow. Miles Teller, man. They, they all are. I mean, after all those uh, reps of 200 push-ups, I mean, they all better be jacked at that point. Can we just also stop doing action movies with CGI? Let's just do all practical action movies from now on because I don't think there have been any movies that have this level of practical effects that we've ever disliked. Like, this was just so much better to watch than bullshit CGI. All right. Well, I'm glad that you all liked it as well. We are quad approved across the board. Three and a half stars. We're going to rename this podcast Almost Sideways Maverick, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it apparently it makes it better. Just put Maverick on the end of it, and uh, and and it improves it. So, three and a half stars from all of us. If you're one of the the few people who hasn't gone to see this movie yet, go see it in the theaters. Um, see it in the biggest screen possible because uh, it's worth it. It's you'll worth be greeted by Tom Cruise theater. before the movie. He'll say like, "Hey, thank you for being here." And all yeah. that. <laughs> Tom Cruise doing his best Dennis Quaid impression. Um, yeah, most likely he's you'll... getting old. <laughs> yeah, he, looked, he looked really old. <laughs> he looked old in that in that little spot. You get to see a trailer for Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Maverick Part One. <laughs> Part One. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you can you're... tell this movie was shot like three years ago when you see what he looks like now. <laughs> and if you're getting to a certain age, like we four are, and you want to feel young again, go to a movie theater full of people watching this movie because you'll feel young very quickly. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yes. 
But I mean, I hope everyone's going to see this because it's just it is just a pure adrenaline rush, awesome movie for everybody to see. Don't yeah, don't think oh this is just you know, it's just for fans of Top Gun. This is an awesome movie, and yeah, cool. All right, three and a half stars from all of us. Let's move on, and what we're spending the rest of our time on, I mean, it's deep dive week. And if we're talking Top Gun Maverick, we got to talk about Tom Cruise. And we got we to gotta talk about one of our favorite Tom Cruise movies and celebrating a 20th anniversary. And the funny thing is, it's kind of like a, a, a sneaky good movie. Like not many people remember this movie, which is kind of crazy because of how brilliant it is. We are talking Minority Report today. From 20th Century Fox. He set me up. He set me up. And DreamWorks Pictures. Who's the victim? I've never heard of him. But I'm supposed to kill him in less than 36 hours. He's gonna get a getter. Tom Cruise. I need your help. Keep contained information. I need to know how to get at it. In a Steven Spielberg film. I have to know. I have to find out what happened in my life. And yeah, 20th anniversary. Came out in 2002. Uh, and uh, I'm really excited to look uh, to talk about this one. Um, I'm trying to remember. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention this. Top Gun Maverick right now, number 44 on the IMDb Top 250. Just going to throw that out there. Um, but uh, Minority Report, I know it was on several of our Top 100 lists. It was on mine. It was on Adam's. Was it on yours, Zach? Yes. So that means it's in our it's in our Top uh, top 25 of all time. Man. And even Todd gave it three and a half stars. Todd gave it... The, I mean, it's, it's kind of a general... Uh, generally loved movie by by all of us. Let's see here. Oh, it's not there. Okay. The real question is, is, is it above the Batman on IMDb? That That is a good question. I would have to check that. Or the Michelle um, Yeoh movie. Yes, yeah, that yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, so it's number 39 on my list, number 81 on Zach's list, number 61 on Adam's list, and yeah, Todd did give it three and a half stars, uh, and yet only only one Oscar nomination. But uh, we're going to get into this, and we always start with trivia because we always we always would we, we used to end with trivia, and then we realized we always gave away answers through our arguments, and so we're going to start with trivia. Todd, you are hosting trivia, so tell everyone how we're going to do this. Uh, so I think because there are so many of us here, uh, we are going to have you guys write down the answers and reveal them i don't know we're going one question at a time or we just doing all the questions at once and then one question at a time one question at a time so i'm keeping score yeah okay they're not they're not great questions uh because it was kind of hard the movie moves really fast and uh so but uh we'll see how this goes um so the first question i'm going to ask you guys is what does Howard's wife say to him when he finds her banging the dude at the beginning? Pretty sure she says one line to him. Kind Can you hold them up or what? Uh, yeah, we'll wait, wait for everyone to get done and then hold them up all at the same time. Okay. Five, four, three, two, one. This is so wrong. Don't cry is correct from Zach. Oh, Adam yeah, says, said, okay, Jeff. Howard. And oh no! Careful, your heart condition. Yeah, those are not right. So Zach is ahead. Watch my face. cry. That's yeah, good. damn it. I was going to say I want to get a tattoo of your name on my ass, but I don't think. Howard. <laughs> okay. Um, 
Where was uh, Danny Whitworth's father killed? Steps of the church, like Captain America. Steps of the church. Uh, okay, that's partially. Steps of the church in Dublin. That is the full answer. And steps of the church in Dublin, also Terry. So Zach and Terry both are getting a point. Adam's getting a half a point. Oh, yeah, okay. baby. Take that. So multiple of you had uh, the full information. That's good. Um, how long of a prison sentence is possession of neuroin? Neuroin. Ooh. Uh, okay, Zach, you got an answer. Go for it. Six months is correct from Zach. Five years for Terry. Never mind. Adam doesn't nope. have an answer. Adam, no, Adam, uh, it's Adam too has long. A wrong Adam, Adam declines. I don't want to put the information so, out there. Three to one to a half. Uh, Zach is in the lead. Uh, here's a, and then I have some questions. Oh, oh, here's another question that's actually about the the actual contents of the movie. Uh, whose eyes was Anderton given? You all are confident in this one. I assume you all have the right answer. I think. Okay, go for it. Mr. Yakamoto. 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 All of you have a point. He's a sorted uh, khakis. Khakis, yes. No. (laughs) No, that's somebody else. Yeah. Okay, this movie has a really interesting cast of uh, people who are actually like writer directors in real life. Or like, uh, and I want to know. There are six of them. I want to see how many of them you could name that are in that are uh, cast, uh, accredited or uncredited in this movie. As right, and that are writer that, directors. That are writer directors. Yes. Oh God. I mean, one of them has a pretty prominent role. One of them clearly you could see in the other ones. I mean, I guess a couple of them depends on. I mean, if they have a movie that they've written and directed, pretty much that is a significant movie. I have the Excuse fun me. one. Uh, okay, Terry has Cameron Crowe. Oh, that is I forgot, point. forgot uh, about that. Zach has Mike Binder. That is correct. Colin oh, Collins. yeah. No, that's not correct. Max von And those aren't the ones. So you got one point. <laughs> and Adam, did you have anything? No, I couldn't think of anybody. I wouldn't. Okay, so those. Mike Binder was one. Cameron Crowe was the guy in the bus. Scott Frank is also the writer, and he is in the movie, and he's a writer director. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson is in the movie, evidently. Jim okay, Rash. but he can't even find himself. Does that really count? That he <laughs> I said he might. It's uncredited. Jim Rash is also in the movie, evidently, as some technician. And Tim Blake Nelson is. Uh, oh, uh, uh, yeah. So now we have Zach has five, Terry has three, Adam has one and a half, and we are going into a quest a question <clears throat> that could be worth up to nine points. Uh, which, oh my god! Because but you're not going to get nine points on this. This movie made $35.6 million at the opening box office, beating the number two movie that weekend by less than half a million dollars, which is uh, impressive because they were both opening that weekend. Name uh, the, uh, the other nine of the 10 in the box office, June 21st, 23rd, 2002. And I will give you a hint. Two of the movies on the list were in their sixth and eighth weekends. They were like monster, monster box office movies at the end of the run. Five... Four, dude. Three, five, <laughs> four. Uh, uh, three, I'm ready. Two. I'm ready, baby. Got three down. One. We'll go with okay. it. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm gonna look. I'll read it out of uh, Zach's words. Lilo and Stitch was number two. That was. Uh, one. Wow. That's American incredible. Sweet Arts is not right. Like Mike is not right. Showtime is not right. And the Yaha Yaha sister is correct. That, yes. Oh gosh. 
I should have known that. I fill out the stupid freaking <laughs> okay, Adam, okay, website. Okay, put it closer. It's out of focus. Uh, you have the big fabric Greek wedding eight is not on the list. Road to perdition. That was later in the year, I think. Eight mile is a decent later. guess. Um, what does that say? Resident, Resident Evil. Oh, yeah. Resident, Resident Evil. Is not Evil. Right. Ice Age is not right. Star Wars huh. is correct. That is number oh, nine. And Blade Two is not correct. So I don't know one one point of that. Here's what I got. Nice. Two Towers is not correct. That comes yeah. later in the Red Dragon and Spider Man was also that was number ten in this eighth weekend. So uh, no Red Dragon though. No Red Dragon. Oh. The mm-hmm. other the other ones on the list were Scooby Doo, The Born oh, Identity, mm. uh, The Sum of All Fears, Wind Talkers, and the other one that was opening that weekend was Juana Man. Oh, nice. So wow. Zach Zach wins seven to four to two and a half. Actually, it went kind of better than I thought it was going to. So <laughs> good job, guys. All right. Well, Zach, you're the one that picked this. So you start us out by telling us about uh minority report and your experience with it. Well, now I really think we should just cancel this and do a deep dive of Joanna Man. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, what the hell certain... is that? <laughs> Come to the stable. Yeah, come to the stable. Uh, okay, so uh, Minority Report. So you got to remember, you know, back in the early 2000s, uh, you know, Stanley Kubrick had died. And the big thing was Spielberg was going to do uh, Kubrick's last film, AI. And so AI comes out in summer 2001, one of the most anticipated movies of all time, because it was obviously Kubrick's last movie. It was Haley Joel Osment, it was Spielberg. And I think for a lot of people, it was pretty disappointing because the sort of consensus was that Spielberg sentimentalized what would have been a more kind of harder, almost more sterile movie if Kubrick had made it. And then kind of out of nowhere, within the next year, uh, Minority Report is released, which is another sci-fi movie with Kubrickian overtones. And it's almost an afterthought. Like, I remember thinking that it just kind of seemed like AI was this big thing and then Minority Report was sort of the afterthought a little bit. In a way, it's almost similar to Hannibal and Red Dragon in the sense that Hannibal was supposed to be the big sequel that everybody was waiting for. And it was a fairly disappointing movie. Less than a year later, Red Dragon comes out and it's a significantly better movie. And I believe Minority Report is better than uh, AI. Uh Obviously, great movie. I was very much influenced by Ebert, who went apeshit over this movie. It was his number one of 2002. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a Spielberg fan. Take it or leave it. Uh, I think Minority Report is one of his three best movies. I've seen it a lot, obviously. I mean, I knew that uh, a uh, uh, Neuroin, uh, uh, you know, finding that was going to be six months. Uh, that's a ridiculous question. I can't believe I got that. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I really like the movie. It's number uh, 81 in my top 100. I'm not a science fiction type person. I read the Philip K. Novella, Philip K. Dick novella after it. Um, I've watched the movie a lot. It was on YouTube for free for a while. I texted Todd about it last year. Um, been waiting for this for a long time. I got to say it's a great movie, but probably not a top 100 Zach movie. I think there are a lot of things that don't hold up particularly well about it. It's one of those movies where like, if you watch it kind of blindly and like, you know, not thinking too much, it's probably a great movie, but the more and more you d- dig into it, you can kind of see it unravel a little bit, which is why I look forward to this conversation. However, I will also say that this was a movie that came out the same year of Gangs in New York. 
I always sort of associate those movies in, in a way because Gangs of New York was Roper's number one movie. And Gangs of New York was as anti-CGI as possible. It was shot at Cineshita, and it was like the last non-CGI movie that Marty ever did. And this was like the one of the first real full CGI movies that Spielberg did. And I thought this was one of the best early examples of CGI. I think the effects for the most part hold up pretty well. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I still enjoy the movie, but uh, it's not a top one. Well, what about the TV series? We know you watched that, right? Well, I think that's part that's part of why this movie maybe isn't as remembered as fondly because the TV series was terrible. I mean, it was it was borderline unwatchable, like uh, you know, the middle thirty minutes of Top Gun Maverick, like, and it's you know, it just isn't remembered as fondly. I don't know, maybe because Tom, Cr- I, I don't know why it's not remembered as fondly. But you're right, it is sort of it's sort it is sort of a missing piece of the Spielberg and Cruise experience, and it, of course, it's you know, twenty years later, people, more people should see it, but uh, I think it's just that it's not streaming anywhere as. You, as you pointed out in our text thread earlier this week, it's funny that you say you think of uh, you think of gangs in New York when you think of Minority Report. I think of Catch Me If You Can because this is one of the many That's years where Spielberg uh, made two movies and had them come out in the same year. I mean, it, it's it's Schindler's List, Jurassic Park, it's it's Munich and War of the Worlds. It, it, he he did this many times. War Horse and Tintin. War Horse and Tintin. He did this many times, and it always seemed to be that one movie became the awards darling, and one was forgotten. Um, in '93, I mean '93, Schindler's List, Jurassic Park. That that was kind of insane. But I mean, you you got to think that if if he doesn't have Schindler's List, does Jurassic Park like get some Best Picture consideration? Maybe. Um, but. O2 is like the, or O5, you got to, again, War of the Worlds kind of was a the blockbuster one, and Munich was the awards one. And then you had this year. And and Catch Me If You Can was definitely more of the awards play, but Minority Report definitely could have been it. Like I said earlier, it only had one Oscar nomination, and it was for sound editing. Which is a it, slap in the face. Yeah. I mean... Catch Me If You Can had more Oscar nominations, which, you know, I know you guys are a fan of that movie. I still prefer this movie over Catch Me If You Can, but that, mm-hmm. to me, is a slap in the face. That is a total reflection of the fact that this movie came out in, like, June or whatever instead of Oscar season. Right. It was meant to be the Spielberg's um, blockbuster play, and and it didn't, it didn't have a great box office. It did well, but it wasn't great, um, and it was mostly forgotten. Uh, I had it the highest of all of us, uh, on our top 100 list, uh, I will say it had been a long time since I'd seen this movie. Uh, and I watched it yesterday for this. And I kind of agree with you a little bit, Zach. A lot of it doesn't hold up very well. And I think part of what doesn't hold up well is the fact that like futuristic sci-fi has become such a thing now. And we are so like oversaturated with some of this, like what does the future going to look like? And you go back 20 years and watch a movie of what the future is going to look like. And there are bits and pieces of it that look too much like today. And then bits and pieces of it that look too much like, yeah, that's just ridiculous. And, uh, and that was part of what was throwing me off is that this is so much of it was that this doesn't fit anymore. This doesn't, it doesn't work. Now, here's the other thing that threw me off. I own the DVD, and so I watched my own DVD copy, and I didn't realize until I pulled it off the shelf yesterday to watch it that I have the full screen. DVD oh. copy. Yeah. 
Yeah. Already fell. Gotta love the mid two thousands. You didn't get the the two disc widescreen special edition. That's it's what the I have. two. It's the two disc full screen special edition. Wow. Yeah, wow. I know. LVP. And, I and and then process. I don't know. Okay. The <laughs> Here's the other thing. I don't know if it's the fact that it was the full screen edition or or what, but this is the first time that I watched a DVD and went, "This looks disgusting." I wish I had the Blu-ray because. Just, Thank you. It it looked. Yeah. It looked bad. It looked Neat. bad. I and agree. So, I watched it on the on DVD too. The widescreen didn't look that great either. It 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 looked grainy. It it um it it the it it's already like a it, weird looking. It was movie. shot in like the it was it was shot and it was it looked like it was shot for TV, basically. Like I was watch yeah. I I felt like I was watching a VHS copy of this movie, watching the DVD. Um, so that kind of threw me off a little bit as well. Um. But at the same time, for for it being a futuristic sci-fi movie, there, it, Spielberg's got his glossiness to it. But this might be one of his grittier movies, and uh, and and that's one thing I noticed too. Like it, it's not all like perfect and glossy like everything he makes now. Uh, it, but it's got some grit to just the filmmaking style, which I I I did like, and I will hold to the fact that. Um, even through all the stuff that doesn't hold up well and, and things like that, the the uh, the moral the moral compass at the center of the whole plot still rings true and holds true and is and is still a fascinating discussion. So I I, I still hold that it's a it's an amazing movie. Is it too high on my list? Absolutely. Is it still a top 100 movie? Potentially. So that that's kind of where I'm at. It's also a ridiculously fun movie to watch. Like there was no time watching this movie. I thought, and, and uh, well, although I will say one of the flaws in it is the last 30 minutes, but when you're like in the middle of the, the in the middle of the movie, the, you know, the, the chase sequence, the race against time, and that's fantastic to watch. That part still holds up really well. And that's about as entertaining and as riveting, frankly, as anything Spielberg has done. Um, so in that sense, that part is not the dated part at all. All right, Adam, you're the other one that has it in their top 100. What are your thoughts? All right, so I'm I'm listening, um, and as I've been doing a lot of 2000, I've been getting a lot of random spins of the wheel for 2002, and I realized there's a lot of films that came out there that year, and I've already reviewed three of them, two of them on Daily Notes, one of them with you guys, 25th Hour. I did Far From Heaven, and last week I did Adaptation, and 2002 has been like completely changed my top 10. However, rewatching this one, it's still my favorite film of 20. 2002 2002 uh, uh for for the simple fact I've, I've always said that this is like the most underrated spielberg movie it's the it was the fourth highest um it's, it's like number i have i had a ton of spielberg films in my top 100 i think it's obviously schindler's list you know raiders jaws and then this one was my fourth in there i i still hold true that i think it's a top 100 movie and i think part of it it's i'm hard too because i have this nostalgia for it this came out in 2002 when i was 13 years old so uh, i remember just like adaptation and mr deeds from the last conversation going to the hollywood video and picking up you know the three for ten pack and or three for ten dollars or whatever on those little for sale movies and this was one of them that we picked up and i remember watching this in my house in spanaway uh on quite quite a lot every couple of months and i would always get scared by a guy dressed in black hanging up on my basketball pool outside uh, basketball net outside i would always think i would see something out there I'm like oh is, is there somebody out there 
and it's always the, it looks the same kind of costume as the guy who kills Anne Lively here. Uh, and so I have part of these memories going in my head to rewatching it. And this one actually hit me a little harder now that I'm, I have a kid, too. And I'm still thoroughly invested from start to finish. Yeah, there may be some things that don't hold up or flaws here, but I, for the overall experience and the way that this, the journey that I've taken with this movie, it's one of my favorite uh, films that Spielberg has done. And definitely, I feel like it's underrated for his whole filmography. It's one that's definitely forgotten. And yeah, I, I thoroughly just really enjoy this movie. It's, it's still my favorite film from 2002. And uh, it's just, I don't know, I. I I enjoyed it quite a bit rewatching it again. So I, this is another film that there's a lot of films that are getting 4K restorations. Minority Report, The Abyss. These are films that from my childhood I would love to see get that 4K restoration. And uh, I think obviously hearing what you guys said about the DVD being so uh, basically garbage looking, I think this is definitely deserving of that 4K restoration. Agreed. Agreed. All right, Todd, you're the one that didn't say it was a top 100 movie last summer. So uh, so where are you at with this? Yeah, I've seen this movie one time. I believe it was probably like 05 or 06 I saw it. And I, I remember really liking it. I, I think I always said it was a top five Spielberg movie. I think I had it through behind, of course, Catch Me If You Can is his best movie. And then Jaws, I think, too. And then Minority Report number three. And... I don't know. Watching it this week, I tried four times. I fell asleep three times. <laughs> all all around the Zach, 45 huh? minute mark or so. Like, it was really bad. I, I was like, am I actually going to be able to talk about this on the <laughs> podcast? Because I fell asleep three three different days watching this movie. And uh, But, because it is a little boring at times. It's way too long. And, and I, I watched it on DVD too. I got a copy from the library and it is way too tinted. Like there are times when I could not tell what I was actually looking at because it was so dark. And it, I don't know if, if that's a lighting issue or if it was just the, the, the DVD problem or whatever. But I was like, man, I don't remember it being like, like this. And uh, in, in 2022, this is like, this is a, this is a TV show. This is Mr. Robot or something. It's an FX series that has a really good first season and then fizzles out after like three seasons. That that's what this is, and I and I feel like it kind of does that with this movie. Like I feel like in the second half, it kind of like loses itself. I don't know what I actually saw in this movie. I think I probably still slightly give it a thumbs up, but I'm not really sure anymore. It it it, it definitely took a hit, and considering it was a top five Spielberg movie, I, it's nowhere near that anymore. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe talking about it some more, we'll uh, bring it back. Wow. Well, and I think I think for for me, what what I always remembered so fondly about this and what still struck me as I was watching it this time was simply the idea of um, that's at the heart of it, that, that I said still hold, held up and still rang true for me. And that's, that's uh, if you, if you know what's going to happen, will you still do what's going to happen? I, I, that 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 whole concept to me, and I mean Zach, you said the ha last half hour you hated. I I love the last half hour because I think that's where it all all comes comes together. Um, and and, and you know the, the whole idea is you know the, these precogs tell the future and they can see the crime before they happen. But if you know that you're going to commit the crime before you happen, will you still will you still do it? And I think that that's such a fascinating question. That's just one of those like human nature things that um, that is is so interesting. 
and, but it's and a that's paradox. I, I mean, that that's I mean that that's been explored in other in other movies too and stuff. I mean, it's not it's not an entirely original thing anymore. Anymore, it's definitely not, but at the time but, it was. But it's, well, it's, it's, it's definitely already, derivative. I mean, watching this Strange Days. All I saw is Strange Days rewatching this movie again. But I would say I'm still giving this movie four stars. I still really like this movie a lot, even if it's maybe not as as much as I originally did. The thing that I love about kind of what actually Terry was saying a little bit, I I thought actually the view, the like the, the landscape of 2054 that they have in this movie is really fascinating to watch. I love all the gadgets. I love all. And then, yes, some of them are a little bit outdated and it's staggering that no, that nobody uses smartphones in 2054, but whatever they they have headpieces apparently, but uh, no, like, you know, the, the, the weapons are really interesting and the cars are really interesting. The landscape is interesting. Uh, I think this movie does an incredible job of world building. I think there's great action sequences um and it does have a premise that uh intellectually engages you which is saying something because a lot of you know sci-fi action movies really don't they kind of just use their premise as a gimmick or as a pretext to just having big you know um action set pieces and this movie i mean you could maybe make the case that this movie does too but i think this movie is a, a bit more thoughtful than than the rest of them and yeah this movie is a lot like total recall in fact i think it was originally pitched as a sequel to total recall and yet Total Recall is so silly in retrospect, and it, you know, like it's a it's a fine movie, but this movie is like definitely takes it up a notch a bit. And uh, I don't know, I, I think it takes a visionary director like Spielberg to uh, take the ideas from this movie and translate them into something tangible and something that um, not only could be shot, but I think for the most part still looks pretty good twenty years later. My problems, see, what's interesting is like my problems with the movie are besides the last thirty minutes just kind of questions about how is this explained? How is this realistic? And in a way, it's sort of a backhanded compliment about the movie that I like it so much that I'm actually willing to engage in the story and kind of pick out parts that to me don't make sense. There are a lot of movies for every, you know, for every one movie that I do that with, there are a hundred other movies that I just don't care enough about to nitpick. So my nitpicking is kind of out of love for this movie in a way. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the whole idea of the human condition you know, conflict that it has in this to even get there, you have to engage in the movie. Like the whole idea that I just said is if you were told your future, would you still follow it? I mean, that, that is assuming a whole lot of sci-fi realism that you are, uh, that you are buying into to even get to that point. And, uh, and that's what I love about it is that it, it brings you into it in such a way that you are able to follow along with it. I also think it has a lot of fun side characters, which which I thought would make it fun for a deep dive, because I mean, honestly, you know, and we'll talk about Tom Cruise in a second, but like he's in, in many ways the least interesting character in this movie. There are a lot of like freaks that show up for one scene and they're fascinating and I want to know more about them. And that's not always common in a Spielberg movie, um, but I, I really like uh, that this movie has a little bit of edge to it. I don't like the sentimentality at the ending, but I like that it's there's definitely some Kubrick touches here and there with, with some of these bizarre, perverse characters. Well, we have a power ranking to do, though, right? Terry? Yeah, let's get that's what I was about to say. Let's get into our power ranking here. So we're talking that this is a Tom Cruise episode. Um, and I, I was thinking about this today. Tom Cruise is is such his own breed when it comes to actors like there is there is nobody else quite like him. There never has been anyone else quite like him. And I don't know if there ever will be anyone else quite like him. 
in in just his ability. Like he's the one guy right now that can still carry a movie just simply because his name is at the top of it. Like no one would care about Mission Impossible anymore if it wasn't Tom Cruise's name at the top of it. Well, I, I, I I think I mean I think Bradley Cooper is in the conversation and up until about March, I don't know what the day was, Will Smith, but um I don't know. Yeah, but Tom Cruise is is one of like a few. Yeah. But but I would say also in the in the lane he's in too in in just the, the way he um, the way he makes movies the movies he makes I, I think he he's kind of a brand of his own so uh, we're gonna do we normally do a Mount Rushmore at this point and we were talking about doing a Mount Rushmore of Tom Cruise performances and like we can't do a Mount Rushmore there's too many we want to talk about so we're gonna do a very quick power rankings in our deep dive of the the best Tom Cruise performances to date uh and uh and i think this could be a lot of fun uh it looks like adam is still uh contemplating his list over there so no no i was you know i'm good (laughs) (laughs) i'm good i got it all right well well let's go to todd first and uh todd go we're just gonna roll through five to one your your top five tom cruise performances no more lows no anything like that just give us five to one no explanation just just roll through it oh no 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 you can give us a little explanation Okay, well, uh, number five, I have the one that is the full showcase of Tom Cruise doing his thing, and that's Jerry Maguire. Like, his full movie star role, uh, absolutely the highest war that he ever had was in Jerry Maguire. Number four, I have uh, A Few Good Men, which is a lot of, like, I love the movie, and a lot of him going toe-to-toe with Jack Nicholson, and he is obviously phenomenal in that too but uh i think tom cruise really brings a lot of depth to that movie number three is magnolia which is his like quirkiest role his probably most emotionally complex role and uh it's uh obviously an oscar nominee number two is rain man which is probably pound for pound his best performance it's but it's not something that's necessarily a high war but like he carries that movie and makes that movie work even more than dustin hoffman does i think he is the, the key to that movie and why it actually won best picture like a travesty wasn't nominated and number one is born on the 4th of july which is the role like the one actual actor's actor role that he had and uh he's he's astonishing in that movie all right good good adam what do you got all right so there's two big oversights that i haven't seen yet and that's eyes wise eyes wide shut and magnolia so i haven't seen those ones yet uh but of the movies i have seen i'm gonna throw in number five i'm going with a movie called american made it's where he plays a barry seal as a he, like he carries contraband for the cia over there i thought he that's not really more actiony but i thought it was just coming off the mummy which was horrible this was actually a really pleasant surprise i was really impressed by tom cruise in there uh number four is jerry mcguire uh, another one just showed me the money. Everything Todd said, I definitely it's just a brilliant showcase, a fringe top 100 movie for me. Uh, number three is Tropic Thunder. Uh, that yes. just that that's one of the quirkiest roles. Uh, it just you don't don't know it's Tom Cruise, but when you do, it's like you can't. It's like it's it's crazy that he was able to pull that off and keep that a secret. It was awesome. Um, number. Uh, uh, number three is A Few Good Men, or number two is A Few Good Men. Uh, again, same thing with Todd said. That, that movie just works in, on a lot of levels, and I think it's just Tom Cruise. It's another top 100 movie, and it's just because of him. And uh, number one, I definitely want to mention 
Uh, Rain Man, I think, is probably deserving to be my top five as well. But more with Collateral, because it's one of his first movies. You can see him as this uh, kind of a villainy type of character. And it's he's just kind of, uh, you can't keep your eyes off of him. And him going back and forth with Jamie Foxx was just a just fascinating experience. Another one I have to do a revisit on. But I definitely, en- I've always enjoyed Collateral. And it's because of Tom Cruise. And, and a kind of a different aspect. Kind of like Tom Hanks in Road to Perdition. You don't really suspect him going to be like the main villain of a film but it's 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 fascinating to watch all right all right zach you're next all right well i don't know if tom cruise is actually that great of an actor like it was kind of hard coming up with this list Mm -hmm. he's definitely in good movies but like you know there's a reason that he's only been nominated for an oscar once and uh three times three times times, what on the fourth of july jerry Maguire, magnolia Oh, well, where did Hold I on. get the one-time stat? I have no <laughs> idea. Man, I don't know. I'm, Your okay. ass. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I thought it was like a big deal when he got nominated for Magnolia. Maybe that's because that was like his most realistic shot of winning. and He didn't. But um, anyway, uh, so uh, yes, number five, uh, Eyes Wide Shut. Um, and again, that's sort of a theme in Tom Hanks movie or Tom Cruise movies. Things kind of happen to him and he sort of reacts to it. And I think he does a pretty good job in, in Eyes Wide Shut which is really a ludicrous and ridiculous movie. And it's not really uh, a great performance, really. It's just that he doesn't he doesn't have a bad performance. Like, a bad performance in that role, I think, really would have undermined a, a fairly goofy movie if you kind of strip it away a little bit, no pun intended. Number four is Collateral, uh, kind of what Adam was saying. Actually, Collateral is probably his most complex role, and it's actually the role that he gets to probably do the most stuff with, and it's kind of interesting seeing him as a villain. That's not a type that he likes to play maybe it goes against scientology beliefs i don't know but he's actually really good in it uh although i agree i haven't seen the movie in a while i'd want to rewatch it number three is one of his oscar nominated performances in magnolia i do think he's only good in magnolia in the frank tj mackey uh uh tapes taped scenes uh with alfred woodard i don't think he's actually that great at the end of the movie not that i really can remember the end of the movie that well jason robards he's amazing i just don't like the that's the Oscar bait, though. That I like, and, and he has some Oscar baity moments in my, Minority Report too. I like the uh, Frank T.J. Mackey scenes. He's great in that, and and that's kind of like a hard, kind of maybe his highest war performance too. I just don't like the end of the movie, and uh, well, I guess where his character goes in that movie. I think he's also overshadowed by other actors in it. Number two is a total Zach pick. It's the firm. I love the firm in the way that uh, Terry and Todd love a few good men. Um, I, I I deeply vibe with that movie, and I think he's absolutely terrific in it. And my number one Tom Cruise performance of all time is Top Gun Maverick. You you got to go with it because he's unbelievable in it. And what's great about it is, and this is what's always made Tom Tom Cruise unique. He's the Jackie Chan of American cinema at this point. He's sixty years old. He's doing these stunts for real, and I think it involves. I think why is that not acting? You know, Cliff Booth was one of the all-time great stuntman slash actors in Hollywood. If we're calling stunt people, they're not just tradesmen, you know, they're people in the industry. And Tom Cruise does it himself and he's 60 years old. And I mean, he doesn't look as great as Miles Teller, but he's, you know, he's still, uh, he's, he's still slinging it. And um, he's, he's great in Top Gun Maverick. So that, that, that's gotta be his number one. The time will tell. History, history will remember that fondly. We could have made this of Mount Rushmore. <laughs> we have three different picks so far. And I'm I pretty mean, sure I, Terry is going to have a different one. <laughs> I, I uh well, Terry's gonna I, pick Tropic Thunder. I will say, uh I've heard I've heard uh that 
is it possible for Top Gun Maverick to be a Best Picture nominee? Is it possible for Tom Cruise to finally get an Oscar win for Best Actor for Top Gun Maverick? The I Color mean, of Money too, basically. Right? Yeah, kind of the, that idea. I mean, who knows? Who knows? All right, my Zach had a tough time coming up with five movies. I, I went 10, through his 11. filmography. I came up with eleven that I wanted to consider, and I and I've been playing with it while you guys have been talking. I will say right now. Two movies. Uh, first, I haven't seen Eyes Wide Shut, so it's not in, on there. Two movies that I wanted, that I would have considered, but I need to watch again because I don't really remember enough about the performance. Uh, Magnolia, I haven't seen in a long time, and I don't remember that well. And the other one that I think I'm the only one that likes is The Last Samurai. I love that movie, but I wanted, I, I don't feel like I could talk well enough about his performance in it to put it on the list. Okay, uh, number five. I, I went with um, like, like there's phases of Tom Tom Cruise and and if you're gonna go talk about um, action star Tom Cruise, I wanted to try and come up with the, the the best performance he had and I almost went with Minority Report, but instead I'm going with Mission Impossible Three. Um, the the uh, no but no you're laughing but you don't understand the scene with him and Philip Seymour Hoffman where he's doing the countdown. Like that is some of the best acting of Tom Cruise's career, and and it is it is the the um, the Mission Impossible movie with the most heart because he has the most to fight for in that movie, and it is it is a brilliant brilliant performance for an action movie, and so that's my number five. Uh, Todd knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, uh, I, I think they've they've gone downhill since three. Right? I know that's, an, that's a controversial <laughs> opinion, but yeah, that is no, a controversial you're wrong. Opinion. Uh, number four, it, like, like Todd said, is Tom Cruise being as, as Tom Cruise as possible. That's Jerry Maguire. So that's my number four. Number three is Collateral, because that is just a brilliant performance of him doing something so anti-Tom Cruise and doing it in such a way that, I mean, I, I hated the fact that Jamie Foxx is the one that got the nomination from that movie. It should have been Tom Cruise, because Tom Cruise was brilliant in that. Number two, I've got Tropic Thunder, because... There we uh, go. I mean, it it is it is so bizarre and off the wall and so uh, so against everything you would normally expect from Tom Cruise, and he nails it, and it's so good. And number one is the same number one as Todd, born on the fourth of July. How am I the only one saying Rain Man as the top five? I know. I, I it would I, be my number six. It, it's. I mean, Rain Man. I messed up. I said American Maine. I meant meant Rain Man. There's there's so many on there. But yeah, Born on the Fourth of July is his best performance. And it's a shame. Looking back on it now, knowing that Daniel Day-Lewis has three Oscars, the fact that Tom Cruise lost to him for when when he was in my left foot is is a shame. And I wish he would have won there. So this whole time we could be saying Oscar winner Tom Cruise because those two performances are so good. They're both so good, and and it is it is the best Tom Cruise has ever been, and uh, he's he's never really tried to be as good as he was then, uh, since. But well, it was like at that, that time it was like him. there was the Color Money, his co-star one when he's really kind of the lead, Rain Man, his co-star one when he's really kind of the lead, and then the next year he's like, okay, I'm winning my Oscar this year, and he didn't win, and so after that he's just like, screw it. <laughs> <laughs> then Jerry Maguire, he wins his co-star um, an Oscar. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The one I really want to say was Vanilla Sky. I, I, I love yeah, that Vanilla. movie. I haven't seen that one yet either. I I need I need to watch that one again. 
So Anyways, none of us put Minority Report on our list. I just I, wasn't sure yeah, what to do. All with right, it. going into this, I had it on my list, and then I was like, you know what? I I need I I wanted to mention Mission Impossible Three instead. I think he is really good in Minority Report. Yes, but in 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 Tom Cruise ways. Like I think actually, you know, one of the things that I thought was really kind of like Loki impressive about his performance in Minority Report was his uh, when he controlled his fingers on the screen, like. That's acting. I mean, that, that's impressive to not look like an idiot doing it like, like Adam, mime? you know? Exactly. Yeah, to not look like a mime. See, sorry, Adam just Adam. looked like an idiot to trying to do it. So, I mean... <laughs> it's hard to do. You gotta wear those little uh, leather... He doesn't look like Tom Cruise. <laughs> no, he looks uh... like Kent uh, Branagh and, and Tenet. <laughs> Aren't you so glad you joined us, Adam? Uh, I could have been doing daily notes now. <laughs> I'm changing my vote to Rain Man, and then we have our top four Tom Cruise there, performances. There we go. There we there go. We that's, go. No, that's good. That's the Rain right. Man, our, Rain Man is a great call because oh, I no. mean Dustin Hoffman is the one that gets all the all the credit for that, but that movie doesn't work if Tom Cruise isn't great. I'm surprised no one said Gold Member. I'm a little disappointed by that. <laughs> yeah. That that is, sure. I would say that's his worst performance because all he does. Yeah, is I was going to also around. say that. <laughs> with what's no the, British accent, yeah, baby. <laughs> what's what's his worst performance in a movie? Because he's he's uh, had some some se several good ones. I think Gold Interview Member. with a Vampire is, is up there for me. He's yeah, awful, Interview man. with a Vampire. That's a horror. Everybody's like, you need to watch this movie. And I was Far like, and away, I really he has an Irish accent. He's pretty bad. You know it's crazy. Too. He's never appeared in a TV episode. I was looking like all everything wow. he's ever done is a movie. Scientology doesn't believe in TV. Maybe. <laughs> No, uh, and no uh, animated movie voiceovers either. I think his worst is probably The Mummy. I mean, it's a terrible yeah. movie, and it's just a bad idea to have him it, in that. And I also yeah, did it, it was it was more of a it was it was a bad casting job. Like he he did not he didn't fit. I still think he, needed, he doesn't fit in Valkyrie, but yeah, they needed to focus on Sophia Batella in that The Mummy movie, but. See, I love the movie Valkyrie, but you're right. It, it, he didn't. He didn't necessarily fit in that role. And he's and credited. Yes, Adam, I agree. He's credited as a writer on Days of Thunder, and he directed a TV uh, episode of Fallen Angels. So he should have been number seven on Todd's list of TV or writer directors in Minority Report. <laughs> there you go. Movie you go. writer director. He's not a. He wrote. He was a story on one, and a director of a TV episode doesn't count. But I see your point. <laughs> All right, well, let's keep this train rolling. Let's get into our recasting now of Minority Report. Who uh, who would be in this movie if it were made today? At least that's normally what we do. One of us usually goes on a on a tangent into something else, but let's see if that, that happened this time. Um, <laughs> uh, so we're going to start with the lead, with Mr. Tom Cruise, uh, John Anderton. Uh, who would be John Anderton today, Zach? Well, I did something a little gimmicky. I got to confess, believe it or not. I decided that... Good gems shocker. Uh, I decided that th this movie... Anderton is the least interesting character in it. And I think if this movie were to get remade today, first of all, let's get, let's get a little more diversity in this cast. Let's also not make it about the people in charge of everything. I say that the remake of this movie is directed by Jordan Peele. And it's about uh, the character of Howard Marks. Um, and what happens to them after they are arrested and then put
put in the containment and then released after pre-crime fails as a, his as an experiment. And uh, my character is named. Um, well, boy, I, I did mess this up. I, okay, I yeah, uh, I'm gonna go with Zoe Kravitz. I don't know <laughs> okay. if she plays Anderton or Howard Marks as a woman, but that's oh my, my lead God. character, Zoe Kravitz. I love it. I love it. Okay, it's good. It's good. That, that, moving on. Moving on. Moving on. Adam. Uh, yeah, I got Oscar Isaac. I can just see him kind of doing his thing, especially after. Uh, well. The 45 minutes of the first episode of Moon Knight that I've seen, uh, he's really good. I can see him kind of... I, I just really love Oscar Isaac. He's about the same age as Tom Cruise in the movie, too. But I think I could see him being a more compelling, uh, give him a little bit more, more emotion, more arranged, and make it more interesting for Zach. Um, as Have Sean. you noticed that Oscar Isaac only plays Jews from now on? Like, in Moon Knight and in that series he did with Jessica Chastain? Anyway, moving on. What I want to know is how long is the first episode of Moon Knight if you've watched 45 minutes and stopped and didn't finish it? I was almost done. I fell asleep. That's why I'm, I haven't seen it. And then, <laughs> then I, I, we're, we're, we're still binge watching Master Chef, so we need to do one season at a time. So, I'll, I'll, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, my pick for uh, my pick for John Anderton is uh, Chris Evans. That's I, pretty I, I think... standard. He's he's a pretty standard lead, leading of an action movie. He would he'd be able to do it. Todd, what do you got? Well, I mean, I have two answers. One is the fact that this is a Christopher Nolan movie in 2022, and so jo oh, yeah. Joseph Gordon-Levitt no, is clearly John Anderton. But the one I actually <laughs> would want to say is Angelina Jolie. I think, I think this is absolutely yeah. within her wheelhouse. Okay. And I think yeah, this I, would actually probably be a better movie. She probably agree. could find her kid in Changeling Anderson. again. This movie. Sorry. I, I think of her I'll more in the up. firefighter yeah. mode in that terrible firefighter movie from last summer that we all loved. That was that was a that was fun. It was fun, terrible. Yeah, I agree. I was gonna say things we lost in the fire, but that was a that was another bad in the fire. fire that was Halle Berry. <laughs> what was that movie called? Those who wish me dead. That's what it was Those called. Those who wish me dead, yeah. Yeah. All right. It was definitely uh, the best Angelina Jolie movie last year. Because yes. No. Yes. I like Todd's pick the best. All right. Well, we'll we'll Chris make Evans sure to it. we'll make sure to Chris add Evans in uh, Zach's Zach's vote for the best best one afterwards. Uh, <laughs> all right. Next one is uh, <laughs> Agatha, played by Samantha Morton. Uh, originally, Zach, who do you got? I went with Mia Goth. <laughs> Tell me, there's anyone else who could play it like Mia Goth? Perfect. I have one that's really similar, but yeah, it's a good one. All right, I Adam. Mean, oh, go ahead. Zach. All right. I was just going to yeah. say, in that movie where she was in the insane asylum with the eels, I mean, isn't that basically Agatha? I didn't see it, but <laughs> the trailer looked like it. <laughs> the one with Dane DeHaan. Oh, I believe. The Cure for Wellness. Is that what you're the talking cure about? Cure for Wellness, yes. By visionary director Phil Alden Robinson, right? Or whatever his oh. name was. It definitely was not the director of Field of That's... Dreams. Oh, um... <laughs> But it was an equally. I just, I just remember that. Are you sure you're the like, sober one here? <laughs> Gore, Gore Verbinski. Okay, guys, you should watch the trailer for it. It's from not director, visionary director Gore Verbinski. I just remember he thinking the Gore Verbinski. He did the pirates movie. You're very the pirates movie. Oscar yeah, winner Rango. It's true. Yeah, there you go. All right, Adam, Mia Goth. Save us. Uh, yeah, I got 
so watching this movie, the mannerisms are pretty similar. Joey King, she looks just like. Oh, okay. Joey King, right. she looks just like, yeah, and but she's really good too when she's not this doing bad. Oscar yet, nominee at the time, Samantha Morton, by the way. I know that's what I was thinking too. <laughs> yeah, so this is an Oscar nominated uh, actress at this point. I thought about going for finding uh, one that was nominated, and then I found the one that I needed to go with, and that's Elle Fanning. Uh, that's my Agatha. She could no. have played Agatha in 2002. Uh, no. Well, she, maybe she if was, they had made her a child. Like four. But they, <laughs> she was like, the she, she played, this, she this played her own sister's played. little sister. Or no, young, <laughs> the keep... younger version of her own sister who was nine okay, see, in, one in of the I problems, Am Sam the year before. Samantha Morton is not a little girl in this movie. They keep calling Agatha a little girl. She No, no, she was dating Samantha Sean Morton, Penn in she was, Samantha Morton was 25 when this movie was made. When it was yep. released. When it was released. And that's a that's about the same age that Elle Fanning is now. So there you go. Right. Joe and, and Joey King. Yeah, I mean, and I said Eliza Scanlon, who is I mean, we're on this on the same page. We all picked really similar actresses, so yes, we did. Okay. Uh next is Lamar brought to us by the uh uh late great Max von Sydow. Um Zach. Who do you have for Lamar? I think this one could be interesting. I had zero interest in recasting Lamar because it's just so easy and stupid. I You're the Joe one Biden. that said it. You're the I one that with... said we need to recast Lamar. I went with Joe Biden because Lamar <laughs> is the Joe Biden of movie villains. He's like old. Okay, Joe Biden. All right. <laughs> Interestingly enough, in the in the uh, in the um, new. Did you guys see that Bo Burnham had an uh, a outtakes of uh, Inside this week? I was going to review it, yes. by the way. Yes. It's just for Todd. And he has a song about Joe Biden, which is pretty good. Anyway, Joe Biden is my Lamar. I think he was also, I cast him as the guy in Remember the Titans, too. This is the second time he's been in my recasting. Interesting. My, my, my quote of the day is, uh, is quoting Zach. Uh, Joe Biden is the villain of, uh, or is the, is, is the perfect villain of, of uh, for this movie. He's old. <laughs> he's old. That's all, that's all you Lamar, had. That is all Lamar, you had. Lamar, Lamar Burgess is the Joe Biden of villains. He's fine. He's just old. Lamar Burgess. He was alive during like the Civil NBA War. NBA player or something in the eighties. <laughs> that's true. I was noticing that too. Yeah. Uh, Adam. God dang! Wow. Uh, so I went with an interesting choice. I don't know if it's good or not, but Richard Gear. They're the same. That'd okay, be fun. <laughs> That'd be a fun choice. I, I, yeah. He's about the same age, surprisingly. I think he could do something with that role as be that uh, foe for us, Oscar Isaac. I think I, I could see it. Get him back in movies again, some prominent movies. Richard Gere would be my pick to play Pete Carroll in the movie about the 2013 Seahawks. Dude, <clears throat> dude, good call. Good call. I can see that. All yeah, right. that'd be awesome. I have two names written down for Lamar, and one of them is Richard Gere. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it might have to do with the fact that I watched Pretty Woman for the first time this week, and uh, my wife and I also went and saw Pretty Woman the musical on stage last night. So I kind of had Richard Gere on the brain this week. So that was there one one thing. And the the other one I had written down, I'll go with this one instead, since you already went with Richard Gere. And it might be because I saw him in a movie this weekend, and that's Ed Harris. <laughs> well, yeah, Let's oh, have Ed Harris. Yeah, it's good. 
<laughs> How old is it, Harris? He's about one. 70. Yeah, he's in the 70s. Yeah, I, I saw it when I was researching, too. Why not Robert Redford if you're going to go with Chris Evans? I mean, wasn't that essentially the same dynamic in that stupid <laughs> Captain America movie? Because Robert Redford's retired. Wait, what? That's the best Captain America movie. That's the best MCU movie. Winter Soldier? Come on. Oh, wait. He's retired. Yeah. yeah. All right, Todd. Uh, I said Tommy Lee Jones. It, this is totally the kind of like sort of button up role, but turning sinister kind of thing that Tommy Lee Jones absolutely owns. It, it'd be more, it'd be like a callback to his nineties roles, but like a, in an old man version. Yeah. In so. the Valley of Eli. Yeah. Eli. All right. Eli. Next we have Danny originally brought to us by Colin Farrell, a very young Colin Farrell, by the way. Uh, six, yeah. before, exactly. Like before his real, like, <laughs> rise in the next year it was like it was like in within a year of this coming out everyone knew who colin farrell was so that's true zach i don't know if you guys watched colin farrell my favorite thing about him was when whenever he went on late night he would always smoke that was like his thing um anyway uh i went with uh leah sado because uh, she's not irish she could be french and her dad maybe died at the steps of the notre dame cathedral and i just saw a movie with her called crimes of the future which is minority report <laughs> right on. all right Interesting. there we go adam i went with barry keegan yeah I, uh okay i can see it he is I'm irish apparently. That. yeah he's you know about this he's a little older obviously than colin farrell as at that time was but i yeah, i can see it and plus yeah yeah he's blowing up he's in the batman he's the joker and uh yeah Really exciting to see him in more stuff. Have you seen the horse movie, Adam? Good with horses. Calm with horses. Calm with horses. <laughs> I haven't seen that one. No, <laughs> no but I have seen Killing of a Sacred Deer this year for the first time. So that was a good one. Yeah, I haven't seen. All it. right, all right. Uh, Danny on my list. He is not an Irishman, but he uh, has an Irish name, and that is Dylan O'Brien. Uh, I think he could pull this this role off pretty well. We've all seen him recently in uh, Love and Monsters. Remember when we reviewed that movie? Yes. So, uh, <laughs> I think he could Zach's do it. Like, what movie is this? <laughs> Visual no. It, oh, I thought that was the one. With, okay, I know it. I, I at first I thought it was the the Tomorrow War that you were talking about, but no, no. I, I I remember now Love and Monsters with the one where they were underground, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the main okay. character in that, that that's yeah. Dylan O'Brien. Okay, very memorable. He, he kind of has a very like Colin Farrell look to him, and and if he got a role like this, I could see him actually, you know, making something of his career. So, Todd, uh, I said John Boyega. I, I think the oh, I like the that. Um, the way that Danny carries himself is, is the way that a, a John Boyega type. Like I, I saw this movie called The Circle. He has a really similar role in that, and. Um, it, it just reminded me of that role. And I was like, okay, this is exactly the kind of like almost internal affairs kind of character that he would be playing to go try to uh, intrude on John Anderton's whole thing. You know, the circle, is that that weird Tom Hanks movie? Nobody saw. Yeah. Yeah. With Emma Watson. Yeah. yeah James. Consult. Wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. Someone has seen it. It's amazing. Yeah. Moving on to Zach's favorite character, Dr. Solomon, Eddie, yeah, this uh, is played where by fun. played by John Abruzzi, John Abruzzi, uh, Peter Stormare, uh, Zach. What do you got? 
So. Well, besides the obvious answer of Nicolas Cage, I did want to go with someone <laughs> who uh, I have, I've neglected to mention for a while, also shares the first seven letters of Peter Stormare, and that is the one and only Peter Simonashek, who I think would make <laughs> a great character actor and needs to be seen in more movies and more power rankings and recastings. So, uh, Peter Simonashek, welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, it's been a couple of years. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. All right, Adam, who do you have? I guess I'll throw this one out. Greg Kinnear? Uh, no. Um, yes. <laughs> that is a much better answer. <laughs> it's not terrible. It's not terrible. It's not terrible. It doesn't suck. Peter Dinklage. <laughs> yeah, it's a Peter Dinklage choice. Yeah. No, I have uh, Nick Kroll. Nick Kroll. I think I can see it. <laughs> he gets this. <laughs> I can see it. And with, with his assistant being Jennifer Aniston from Horrible Bosses. Just throwing her in there. That's, I can see it. I Nick Kroll. <laughs> yeah, dude. He got. Well, uh, where, he where's where's Paul Shear in this? I mean. Well, okay, okay. So on a similar wavelength, my Doctor Solomon <laughs> Eddie is Jason Mantzoukas. Um, no, nah, <laughs> that's Rufus Riley. Yes. Right there. that's Rufus who played, Riley. Who played Rafi in uh, in the league? Um, yeah. That is amazing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> when okay, things so when things get bad, apart. you can count on him to run out the doors shouting Gattaca. Forever so. unclean. <laughs> you wouldn't be Forever saying that unclean. if you saw the movie. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Todd, who do you have? I mean, I said Jason Butler Harner, who's uh, he's, uh, uh, he's he's like the supposed killer guy in Changeling, and he's also like the the, the crazy FBI guy in um, in Ozark. He has he has this sort of. He has a sort of thing about him where, where he plays like these really sort of eccentric characters, and I think it would fit. But I don't know. I feel like that I'm in a different podcast when we're that, mentioning two. That two was Lee beautiful. Actors. That that <laughs> that summed up our podcast. Peter Simonacek, <laughs> Nick Kroll, Jason Mansukis, and someone we someone I've never heard of that Todd brings up. That that was excellent radio. That's perfect. That's perfect right there. All right, we got two more to go. Jad. What's strange is that the, the Nick Kroll, it almost works. It I, almost I, didn't, works. I, didn't, I didn't go with Jad. Uh, that was you, one you of didn't have today. a Jad played by oh, Steve Harris. Easy for me. Easy. Winston yeah. Duke. Winston oh, Duke. Oh, yeah. Of course, course Adam has to recast Winston Duke. Uh, so, what are you doing, so big here's, man? Here's what I looked at with, with, uh, with this Steve Harris was primarily a TV actor. That's why he was known for at the time. So I went with Lamorne Morris. Nice. Although he doesn't never, I can't. I mean, he does play a cop in New Girl, I guess. But I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. I, I said Channing Tatum. I, I just feel like this movie is is right for a Channing Tatum kind of role. And this would be like him being the like the hateful eight or something, where it's like he he's totally fine just taking this like like in the background character and, and sort of make it a like half scene scale role. Like this yeah. is the end. He plays. Well, like I mean, he's playing himself. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All yes. right. Last one is Fletcher, played by Neil McDonough, Buck Compton himself. Zach, did you recast oh. this one? I didn't, but I will make a uh, uh, audible here, and I'll go with uh, any actor on the crew in Top Gun Maverick. Maybe Coyote or Fritz. There we go. There we go. Or I Bob. Like it. Not Bob. It has Not to be Bob. someone with, with, who's rich. He's, he's the only one you can't pick. <laughs> yeah. Bob, could be, Bob could be like Wally, the, the tech. There you go. There you go. All right, Adam. Yeah, I got uh, I cast as Fletcher. I got Martin McDonough because he looks just like 
he 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 does he doesn't age. He's like uh, Paul Rudd. You mean Neil McDonough? Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, it's, it's, not, not the director, not the right of, director. of three billboards. Yeah. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, uh, I have uh, I have Robbie Amell. Uh, I think he'd be he'd be a perfect perfect like physical Who specimen to be Arrow. He no no Arrow is his brother. Oh, um, wow. I I'll show yeah. that. Oh, the death. Yeah. Okay. Yep. He's kind of become a thing. I, I thought I it, this one was the easiest one for me, and it was Scott Eastwood. Oh, there's. No. I mean, it, 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 it almost seems like his He'd be exact. A good Danny. Yeah, that's yeah, I, I could see that. All right. So would uh, Kyle Chandler. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in two thousand. That's just too easy. Kyle, I mean, Kyle who wants to, to have fun? Who wants to? That's not fun. We have fun on this podcast. Yes. All right. Let's get into our categories now uh, and uh, and get through these. But before we do, uh, Todd, you texted me at one point this week talking about how the rewatchables is totally ripping off our categories. Can you yes, expand on that at all? Well, they they uh, decided they were going to get some new categories in, and they mentioned several of the categories that we have, including uh, Stickman, LVP. Um, they if. X was cast in this movie. It wasn't Nicolas Cage, but it was uh, uh, some other actors. And there was one other one that was like exactly ripped from what we do. So, I mean, yes, our idea is very similar to theirs, but the fact that they are actually taking our ideas is kind of entertaining. I think that means Bill Simmons has to be on this podcast. We need to I invite think it, him. I think it means that we need new categories. And I actually thought of a couple for this particular episode. Are they Can the I ones that rewatchables just jettisoned? No, but I'm, I, I'm, afraid, I'm afraid to mention them because they'll steal it from us. But these categories are specific to our podcast no, that no one else could do because we're the hosts. One of my categories was which uh, little girl is Todd going to give the worst performance to? <laughs> yes. And the other one, and I, I can't say this without it sounding mean spirited, but I'm just going to I'm just going to say it anyway. What did Adam think this movie was about going into it? And this is in honor of 25th Hour, how he thought it was a legal drama. That is actually so like, a really good category. What did Adam... I think Adam thought this movie was about Anne Lively fighting for custody of her children after going to rehab and going to court, and Hillary Swank was her lawyer. I'm not even leaving. That's a great... That's, that's great. I love it. They can't steal that from us. I approve this message. Uh. I love that it. That is beautiful. That is amazing. We're actually making that part of the podcast. So like, not this one because I, I don't know. I'm not prepared to actually have thought yeah, yeah. about that. But <laughs> what did Adam think of it? Well, so now do I have to, every well, week and... I have to send in what I thought about the movie before? I well, that's funny is because when I told Zach about the, the, the rewatchables ripping us off, he's like, pretty soon they're going to be guessing Adam's list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I did get That's an email a couple days ago. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was, I was <laughs> now, Zach, there was actually another one that we talked about this week. We texted back and forth about most underrated line. Yes. But that, that one's nowhere near as funny. But they could steal that from us. No one can steal Todd's hatred of young children <laughs> and, and Adam's insistence on it being a legal drama, uh, an uplifting <laughs> legal drama with Hillary Swank. Uh, can't say Hillary Swank. So that's what I uh, asked. That's amazing. All right, well, what let's get into our next category. What old foreign actor can I recast? Yeah. 
Uh, where would Peter Simonashek fit in? All right, let's get into our actual our actual categories here. Uh, who would Nicolas Cage play? Uh, I'm saying he'd play Howard Marks. If we can't say Dr. Solomonetti, he'd play Howard Marks. This would be a 90s Anderton. Cage well, yes, right? he would be. He, that would make sense, too. I think Adam? he'd play the, the drug. Oh, sorry. Uh, Lamar Burgess. I, I would like him to have oh. a more prominent role, especially after the weight, the massive talent movie. Uh, I want to see him get a bigger, juicier role. I can see him being that menacing character. He's pretty tall, too, so he can kind of stand tall above Anderton's wife and kind of like, I'll take another trip to the cottage. I can see it. After this one, I'm back. <laughs> Not that I yeah. went anywhere. <laughs> Go to the cottage. Zach? Yeah, it really depends on what era of, of Cage we're talking about, because obviously we can see any of those. I was going to go with the with the blind drug dealer that uh, that Anderson <laughs> yes. goes to see. What man? Lichen is his name. Lichen, yeah. I mean, that's that's like Port of Call New Orleans Cage, which is my favorite Cage, and that would be great. Solomon Eddie's friend, Lichen. Yeah, there we go. All right, Todd, did you say anyone? Oh, you, I, said, I, I said Anderton. Anderton, right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, then, Todd, start us off. Highest war performance. Uh, this is the hardest one because there aren't a whole lot of high war performances. I say Colin Farrell because... Damn I don't you, know, Todd. Something about, especially that era, like this is the Colin Farrell American accent, yet he clearly is saying that his family is Irish. So I'm not really sure why he was playing an American in this movie. Maybe it's a flaw, but it's, it's also just like a reflection of the fact that Colin Farrell is awesome. And in 2002 through 2005 or something, he was like the coolest thing in the world. And it's hard, it's hard to replace him, especially in that era. Yeah, you I'll know, go he, next because I had him down too. Uh, and uh, the one reason I had him down is because it takes it takes uh, a great actor or a, a, a unique presence to be able to go toe to toe with Tom Cruise in a movie like this and actually steal scenes from him. Yeah. And and Colin Farrell's able to do that. So that's why I said him. You know, uh, Colin Farrell is not inconceivable as Anderton, by the way. Like it's true. In another universe, I think he's got the same kind of like slyly comic beats at times, but like, you know, manic, but also like the ability to, you know, escape, escape from a car factory line. I mean, it's all there. He did Total Recall. We just mentioned that. He was in the, the reboot of Total Recall. <laughs> so sure. basically, Anderton. So there we go. Zach, who's your highest work? Uh, I went weird with these because I think the main performances are kind of boring. So I went with Tim Blake Nelson as Gideon. I know he's only in a couple scenes, but come on. You're telling me in 2002 there was a better actor for that than Tim Blake Nelson. Maybe Steve Buscemi, but that's about it. And uh, that's like the penultimate Tim Blake Nelson role is Gideon. Or when he was in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And they're kind of the same performance. Pretty much. Pretty he's much. in a different movie. Though, like that, that <laughs> character is not part of this universe. <laughs> but, but but he's awesome though, and he plays the organ. I mean, how many uh, movie characters can play the organ? It's impressive. You're not authorized. <laughs> you're not authorized. All right, uh, Adam, who do you have? Uh, yeah, I got Mark, Max von Sydow as Lamar. I, I don't know. I, I, like I said, it kind of goes back to being that kind of scared of that. You know what he was that killer version of him as a kid. I get. I don't know. I, I and I enjoyed seeing him again. Uh, miss seeing that guy in, in film. So 
yeah, I'll I'll say him for this one. Was this better than his Oscar-nominated work in Extremely Loud, Incredibly Close? I don't know what that is. Uh, by choice, actually. <laughs> that's a that's a good answer. Uh, uh, yes, yes. All right. Dallas. Um, uh, mentioned for the uh, second time today, the Bill Paxton Memorial Worst Performance Award. Uh, I like that it's the Memorial Worst Performance Award. Uh, goes to who, Zach? Oh, shit. I wasn't expecting... Uh, can you come back to me? I, I, I can't it. look up this actor's name. Go ahead, Adam. So it goes uh, to Zach. Robert... All right. Yeah, go okay. ahead, uh, Adam. <laughs> Patrick... No, wait. What's that? Is that Patrick Kilpatrick? What is, what's that? Not? The guy who plays Not. It's like, get him off of me. It's the guy that he like flies around to the different cities and he oh, wants yeah. to beat up. He's like, that's lunch. In the, yeah. That's a so that's, great that's call. Him. That's my, and, my worst performance. It's pretty easy. That's what I should have said. Uh, but uh, instead, I'm going to say uh, I'm going to say Catherine Morris, who plays uh, Anderton's ex-wife, Lara. Um, mm. She she seems bored with every line she reads and sounds like she's reading every line she says. So uh, I completely wrong. disagree with that. I know that's like that. That's the, that's the obvious take. It's the Vera Farmiga and Departed type role. But I actually think she's pretty good in this movie, especially considering that she hasn't had much of a career other than this movie. I think she's absolutely fine. In fact, I would probably put her in the top three performances of this movie. I think she's actually really good. Okay. Um, she had a TV show that ran for like eight or nine seasons um, that came about right after this. So the fact that she didn't play the role with an accent. I appreciate that. Yes. She, she played the role like she was reading it. Like, like the whole thing. It's like, <laughs> it's like, her name was Anne Lively, but I didn't say that she, but she wasn't. She wasn't trying a Boston accent. Can we just say that? Like, that's something working in yeah. her favor. Vera Farmiga the, the deserved departed. an Oscar nomination for The Departed. And and this is a, to compare this to her is ridiculous. And can we stupid. stop with the, the Departed slander, please? Thank you. And you and you, you just you just need to shut up now. All right. We're going to Todd. Zach goes last because he's obviously the worst performance of the podcast so far. I mean, there are several that I could go with. And because, yeah, Zach's being a dick, I'm going to say uh, I'm going to say Lois Smith because she was in Twister. Oh, and Bill Paxton is also in Twister. So <laughs> Lois Smith is actually not very good in this movie. <laughs> uh, good I like that she starts making out with him randomly. Just kinda, yeah, you're in the was... moment there. You're with Tom Cruise. Why not? Just go for it. She's like one of his patients in Eyes Wide Shut, you know? Just like, give him a kiss. Yeah. All right, Zach, who'd you come up with? Uh, her name in the movie is Lamar Burgess's secretary, and she's played by Sarah Simmons. <laughs> and I was the, thinking about she, it too. She's pretty bad. She has the most over-the-top, like, exasperated fainting, apparently, when it's un- uncovered that Lamar killed Anne Lively. I mean, like, I really? We wife. really... Oh, well, okay, I don't know. I couldn't find his wife on the... Whoever is Lamar Burgess's wife or secretary, whatever woman is around him, uh, that's not a good performance. I thought it was his wife, too, but I can't find her in the credits. That's why I was, that's why I was looking yeah. for it. It only, lists, it only lists Lamar Burgess as secretary, but the, but the elderly lady who faints at the, uh, at the reception. Uh, okay, that's, that's side, side note. Okay, so we're talking about Bill Paxton. I was thinking of a Bill Pullman, and I remembered that Bob in Top Gun Maverick, his, name is, his last name is Pullman, and I know actually is too. Bill Pullman's son. What? That's awesome. <laughs> I was thinking that when I saw the credits, I was Very like, severe. is that Bill Pullman's son? I didn't think it, so look it up until just now. 
It seemed like a good time to do it, though. <laughs> That's like we when have I a... realized recently that Wyatt Russell, who was like the new Captain America, and he's done yeah. some other things. Like, yeah, he's he's Kurt Russell's son. How about a category of who Bill Paxton would play? Screw you, Ringer. I mean, they're not going to come up with that category. They're also <laughs> not going to have the Bill Paxton Worst Performance Award. <laughs> I guess he's already named for an award. Memorial. So Bill Paxton Memorial. What is it? The Amazing Larry Memorial Award now, too? It, it, no, that that one is still the Amazing Larry Big Tim High Roller. Yeah. Okay. So let's get to it. Amazing Larry Big Tim High Roller minor character of the of the film award. Uh, goes to, and I go first on this one, and it goes to Wally the Caretaker. Mm-hmm. Good um, answer. Mm, he's giving me a worse performance. <laughs> he's pretty, he, he's amazing. He's he's so much, I mean, it's not a great performance, but it doesn't mean that it's not a great character. <laughs> I, I love, uh, it's a great character. I love that guy. And and he's kind of creepy in how he takes care of the precogs. And uh, and he likes John, and this whole movie wouldn't happen if he didn't like John. So he's brushing her teeth really creepily. Did he hurt you? Did he hurt you? It's creepy. I didn't. I said it's creepy, but yeah. All right, Todd. Uh, I mean, I have a couple I could say. Um, I'll go with uh, the the guy from Gone in sixty seconds with Howard Marks. are Ari Gross as Howard Marks? Like he's the he's the the guy at the DMV or whatever in Gone in sixty seconds. And I, oh, yeah, he that, is. Was, I, that was all I could think of when I watched this movie four times at the beginning because I kept falling asleep. But like, what I love about that character is like when the the paper boy comes in he, and he tosses his paper into the uh, into the sprinkler. He just like throws his hands up and looks at him like, "What the hell, are you dick?" You know. And that's exactly what I would do at that in that moment. And I, I really related to him. Not the whole, like, I'm going to murder my wife or anything thing. But, you know, like, yeah. I can't see anything without my glasses. <laughs> you know how blind I am without them. Mm-hmm. You looked like a boxer. <laughs> uh, all right, Zach. Uh, well, I do. Before I actually give out my award, I do want to shout out, obviously, Dr. Solomon Eddy, who I, I think is my choice, but I've talked about him a lot. I also want to shout out William Mapother as the hotel clerk. I did not mm-hmm. know that was William Mapother uh, until this time. Mapother, t- Tom Cruise's stepbrother and uh, one of the great all-time douchey Richards uh, in in the bedroom, memorably. So when I when I went back and watched that scene, it's like, oh shit, that's like Marissa Tomei's ex-husband. That that is him there. Uh, but a lot of great minor characters in this movie. I got to go with a character who's actually not listed in uh, the credits, and that is Mr. Yamamoto. Um, great minor character. His eyes obviously make a prominent uh, appearance in the movie, and he likes to shop at the at the Gap. <clears throat> Yakamoto. Yakamoto. You spelled it right when you wrote it. That's true. Somehow I've regressed. <laughs> All right, Adam. Uh, I got two. It's either the the blind guy that he's that sells the drugs to Anderton. I think that's like him. Uh, like and he has some wise wise words or the old lady she's just chilling just like relaxing in the hotel oh with the pipe or the pipe yeah the pipe yeah that's a great call because she she is kind of a great minor character she's just kind of sitting there she's like oh these lovebirds look at them yeah she's got a great laugh he's like i wonder how many hours oh never mind never mind never mind it's a bad joke no no i'm not gonna go there never (laughs) (laughs) it's a shady motel you don't never know if they're gonna like she's like i wonder how many hours they're paying for that hotel room Never mind. That's probably what she is asking. That's actually a great point. 
<laughs> I'm going to change my vote. That's a better answer. Old lady with the pipe. Now, is she listed in the credits as old lady with the pipe? She is. She says old lady. It says old lady. I found it. Hold well, on a second. One of the funniest moments of the entire movie is when Anderton is looking at the footage for the first time and he goes, and there's an old lady laughing, oh, she's smoking laughing. a pipe. Okay. Um... <laughs> I found it here. Hold yeah. on a second. I can't find it. Okay. I'll find it. Okay. Well, while he's looking for that, we're going to move on. Oh, there uh, it and... is. Fiona Hale as old woman. There Fiona we go. Hale. There we go. I like She's it. been in movies like She's Still Alive, Benjamin Button, and Burt Wonderstone, and um, Corky Romano. There's the three, her, her four top four best movies. She died oh, in 2014, aged uh, 88. There you go. All right, Peace. All right. Moving on. I feel like we need to be like Amazing Larry, Big Tim, High Roller with a Pipe Award now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Spider Nothing. Stickman and Billy Bats Douchebag. We're going to do these two together. Uh, and we're going to start with Todd on this one. Uh, my stick man, I'm going to go with uh, Frank Grillo as the pre-crime cop because it's Frank Grillo, obviously. Because it's Frank Grillo. I mean. <laughs> and you only see his face like once. Valid point. And the douchebag, I am going with an actor named Dude Walker as the reporter because his name is Dude. <laughs> There's a much douchier thing you can do than that. That's your credit on IMDb. So. I'm a Dude Walker. Dude Walker <laughs> as the reporter. I want to actually know what that guy looks like. I'm sure he looks like a douche. In Star Wars, there's a Skywalker, but I'm a Dude Walker. <laughs> Just fantastic. Yeah. That's a great call. All right, Zach. Wow. Well, I think Anderton, the case for Anderton as a stick man is a pretty good one. I mean, Miss Van Ike is really into him. Uh, you could make the case that Agatha is into him. Obviously, Dr. Hinneman had her moment with him. Um, and Rufus Riley uh, also, by the way, he'd be recast, I said, as David Diggs. Uh, he, he even says, he shouts out, hey, you, you're on the run. You had time to hook up with this chick. It's pretty impressive. He's impressed with his stick man ability. Um, but alas, that is all speculation because the only one who actually gets it in this movie is Donald Durbin, the uh, guy at the beginning who is screwing Howard Marks' wife. What's interesting about Donald Durbin is that uh, he appears to step on glass when he gets out of bed because he immediately pulls like something out of his feet, and I'm guessing it's the window that that collapses. But uh, yeah, Donald Durbin, a pretty big stick man. Got to be. Dubin. 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 All right, I got to go next on this one. So I, yeah, there was ahead. another person that got it in. <laughs> During the spider sequence, the there people were they, in the, there, in the people in this, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, that's a good one. But that's not who I was thinking. I was thinking Jad. Jad has to be the stick man in this movie. He's got that big smile. He wants to get you, he wants to give people cake. Yeah, I, I, I can see for I can, I can see him. <laughs> what? He's like, yeah, man, I work at pre-crime, dude. Let's go. <laughs> I can see it. I can see it. I had Jad. a question about why they had cake at pre-crime. Was it to it's celebrate? It's a baby shower. It's a baby I thought it's it got to be a baby shower. shower. Yeah, it's got to be a baby for, shower. And and my wife pointed this out for the character of Casey, who is also a nurse in season one of Grey's Anatomy. See, also uh, Arizona Robbins, aka Jessica Chap Capshaw, Steven Spielberg's stepdaughter, is uh, the pilot on the uh, the Pez dispenser ship thing uh, when they go into that <laughs> spider sequence. 
It's great. All right. Anyway. Yeah. Get yeah. us back on the rails here. Oh, Jerry. and the, oh my uh, D bag. The D bag I have is the kid with the paper. He just threw it in the water. Oh, man. Like, what a that's a good call. Do. I don't know. And then uh, right. I don't know. I guess that character's name should have been Dude Walker. <laughs> it should have been. Yeah. All right. Uh, so my spider stick man is is Donald Dubin because yeah, it, mm. it, it, it's a great yeah. one. And he he like plays the perfect like like I'm gonna go sleep with that guy's wife. Uh, and then uh, Billy Bat's douchebag, I have not be uh, played by Patrick Kilpatrick because he just he's just a horrible dude. And like there, there's a whole scene. I He should have been the worst performance, too. But the whole scene where he's like talking about how they're going to send the spiders up. And, oh, let's spend some more. I want lunch. I mean, it, it, yeah. he's, he's just a horrible person. Yeah. OK, All right. uh, I, 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 an uncomfortable question that we can edit out later because so much of this we're going to leave in. Wally as a stick man, uh, because he's got to be getting it in with Agatha, right? Are you kidding me? What is this like the Neon Demon kind of shit? Yeah, like, neon, yes, <laughs> that's exactly what I'm saying. Comatose, go comatose. Ha- Mars and the yeah. real girl. Yeah. I, oh wow. I think that I don't know. I think I thought we said that that defeats the purpose. <laughs> okay. All yes. Right. Sure. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. Best scene, Zach. Best scene. Best scene in the movie. A uh, lot of great choices. Um, I guess I'll just go with Dr. Solomon Eddy. Because what's what's great about that scene is that, here's the thing, Solomon Eddy's actually not a douchebag. I'm glad that none of us came up with him as a douchebag. He's actually really nice, considering that John Anderton, like, got him arrested when he was a beat cop in Baltimore. Not only is he does he give him the eye removal for apparently a, a pretty cheap price, but he also this makes guy, a really yeah. good-looking sandwich, gives him milk, uh, gives sets up that elaborate scheme of wires that he can maneuver around the apartment, gives him drugs, uh, and uh, gives him that thing with the face. I mean, talk about a great host. Anyway, I know it's not the name of the award, but I do love that scene, and uh, that I, w- I wish the movie had gone in more that direction. Uh, in a way, I almost wish David Cronenberg had directed the movie or Paul Verhoeven, and we I probably would have gotten more scenes like that. All right, Adam. All right, so the scene that actually I was moved to is when the Agatha, when he finds out, because I figured out, I, fig- I figured out about Anne Lively, he's running back into the uh, the, the, the cottage, and he, they walk into the Sean's bedroom, and they're talking about uh, what Sean would be like today. And that scene is it. Actually, I, I'll say it. I, I teared up during that scene. I think it also. I, I, I put myself in the character's shoes. Whenever things feeling now being a father too, it kind of made me kind of like what happened with some of my kid. I could put my relate to that a little bit. So, yeah, the uh, that's my favorite scene. Is that's one sequence where he's talking about running and uh, meeting, sleeping with a girl, and uh, going off and running in co- college and run, wanting to run to his daddy, but he can't because he's only six years old. I think that's. Uh, just that's just a heartbreaking little scene there that actually plays everything, and then they realize he realizes that he killed Danny Whitworth and everything. The whole sequence kind of played perfectly there. So I know that, and most of the some of you guys said the flaws are near the end of the movie, but I think for me that that's one of my favorite scenes. It's always kind of been that. And then going, okay, go ahead, go. Ahead. I'll, I'll I'll go ahead. Yeah, that, that's that's a great one. Uh, my best scene is also at the end of the movie, which I know Zach said he hated, but it's the scene. Where where Anderton confronts Lamar, and he's faced with the question of 
because because this is this is what fascinates me about this movie is the moral question and he's standing there with the gun and he's like okay what are you going to do are you going to prove that the precogs work and and uh kill me and spend the rest of your life in with the halo on your head or are you going to stop not kill me and save yourself but prove that everything you've built your life around is a fraud it, it, it is a fascinating moment. It's a fascinating question. And I really think that he gives the only response possible, and that's to kill himself so he doesn't have to live with either decision that would have been made. And it, it's it's a brilliant scene, and it's played it's played so well, and it's it's the only way it could have turned out. Well, to yeah, your credit, I, that, that scene also, like, that entire setup is exactly the way that Cruella ends. Like, the last, like, 25 <laughs> minutes of Cruella is the exact same scene. <laughs> It's almost the same like building that is set up. <laughs> you guys remember that? I know we reviewed now it. Now that you wow. said it. Yeah, unfortunately. Like they exposed them and there's like a whole like cliff and suicide. That was almost thing. like a year ago to the day because that came out Memorial Day weekend last year. Yeah. But I do like how they Oscar wins them this movie. Oh, don't yeah, remind me. Oh, dude. Oh, uh, so yeah. Anyway, uh, but that, um, that's a that's a dude walker. Um, uh, way to go dude right walker there. yeah yeah i also like how they reveal that what happened to Anne lively i think that just seeing everything pay off and like what actually happened i think that's also just plays into that final sequence god are you guys serious i hate the lot i think this movie should have ended with this is how you make the movie better the movie should have ended with tom cruise getting arrested and going into containment and then that's the movie it should just end there because we know we know no no none of that <clears throat> have him go to containment and the and then maybe maybe do the 25th hour thing where he's like you know the life that could have been and then do the dream sequence with the sun or something like that but like I mean, i'm trying to fight that, the charges yes with hillary swank but <laughs> the, like <laughs> like why do this excess bullshit like that the, the we know one of the problems with this movie is that it has no subtlety whatsoever. There's no subtext in this movie at all. If we end the movie with him, um, with uh, Leo Crow opting to not kill Leo Crow and then going into containment, we think, oh shit, Danny Whitworth was right, right the whole time. Pre-crime is a bust. It's a fugazi, a fugazi, it's a fugazi, fugazi. Uh, and uh, that's a great ending to the movie, but we know who's directing this movie and we know we need the Oscar scenes. We need the scenes, all due respect to Adam. We, we need the scenes with uh, Tom Cruise emoting tears and we need the, the heartfelt moment. And we need that utterly, utterly ridiculous scene when Laura confronts Lamar Burgess and he has the slip of a tongue, which is out of screenwriting 101, and it's already 25 minutes too long. And it's like, come on. Anyway, I'm sorry. That's that was my soapbox. Ending of Cruella was probably better. <laughs> Todd, um, what's your best scene? <laughs> uh, well, I wanted to mention this as my favorite minor character, but it's, I mean, it, it really is an extension of the scene where uh, Fletcher and, and them are chasing Anderton because it go, they go into this lady's house or apartment and all she yells is, get out of my kitchen! Which, I mean, they fly into her apartment. They're completely destroying the whole place, but all she cares about is them messing up her burgers. And, uh, I mean, I, I think makes, that's a, It makes them better. It's a great moment. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, get out of my kitchen, not get out of my living room. You not get out of my place. Get out of my kitchen because I'm cooking. Is that is that the scene with the jet backpacks? Yeah. Yeah. yeah they they okay. fly in there. 
That's about the best. They light the burgers like I mean, they like yeah. charbroil the burgers. Yeah. So one of the best parts, probably one of the best minor characters, is that grandfather who doesn't even move the entire time that's that it's happening. He's probably dead. Okay. Yeah. Well, I got dark quick. Anyway. Uh, All right. <laughs> if there were a sequel, do any of you have a have a uh, have an answer to this one? The obvious well, title you... would be Minority Reports. It's stupid. It's so dumb. no, actually, I got I, mean, I got What is this? The Alien franchise now? Yeah, I, no, I do have a, I do have, yeah, I do have a, an idea for a sequel. Is that they obviously say that Agatha and the twins go off into this solitary thing. The whole thing is trying to find them, and it's going to be a Rufus T. Riley, a Rufus Riley film <laughs> with Jason Mardukas as his character, and then they're going to go try to track him down. Yeah. <laughs> That, that was another thing I, I didn't like this time watching it. The bottom of the keyboard, not only does it have his name and his address, but it has a picture of him. Like, really, you couldn't have thought of an, a better way to get that character to Rufus. Like, come on. Let's, it looked, it you looked got, like a... It's a $100 million dollar movie. Let's get a little bit better. Let's get the script a little bit tighter. Anyway, my sequel would be, as I said earlier, Howard Marks released from pre-crime. Um, maybe as a woman played by Zoe Kravitz. I'm not sure. But uh, I think he would go confront his ex-wife, estranged wife, and stick man of Minority Report, Dick Durbin. Not Dick Durbin. That's the Illinois senator. D Donald Dubin. And uh, maybe he'd kill them both still. Maybe he'd find a better way where he wouldn't cry. All right. I've got a sequel. I've got a sequel. My sequel is, uh, is so the precogs live out the rest of their life in peace. But they still have these visions and they can't help it. And they like the, like, what do they do? Like the, the moral dilemma of, do we live out our lives in peace or do we actually want to help society? And, and the sequel ends with them back in the precog tank because they, they choose that it's better for them to help than for them to, to be able to live their lives. So it's the hurt locker. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's the hurt locker. It's really great to be a precog. That's what we learned. It's really great to be a precog. You know, it's hard out here for a precog. All right. Exactly. Trying to say that people yeah. from the murders. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> uh, God. Wow. Did you have anything? What are we doing? Flaws? No, did you have a sequel, or did you already say? Oh it? no, no, I don't have anything. Okay. I mean, it's Mister Robot. I said. I mean, it's oh yeah, be a TV show. All right, flaws, outdated conspiracy theories, anything like that. I I already talked about mine. So, yeah. Anybody else? Uh, yeah, I got two things. Uh, why is Eugene Os or what's his name? Eugene Osment, Jad's technician. It's the guy who said, "Oh, careful with that. Don't put that there, Jad." Oh, okay, just go with that. Uh, it's just it's just some random guy who just transfers things over. Jad just sits there, watches John Anderton do his thing. He could move the, the, the files over to the different computers, and uh, so that that character doesn't make any sense. But also, when he's running through the uh, the, the the slums or whatever to get his drugs, John Anderton, that is, they play a, a pre-crime commercial. He says, "I was going to be raped." But then they immediately say the next scene over with Danny Whitworth is, "How come they can't uh, can't, can't see rapes?" Yeah, that's a good one. I, I thought about that in the movie, too. Not that exact moment, but I thought about what, why is it just murder? And if they can see murder, then how come Agatha can also see that they need an umbrella at the mall? You know, and how could she see Sean growing up? Like, there's inconsistencies. 
with that. Yeah, no, I, I had something like that too. I said, why isn't it called pre-murder? Because yeah, they say that they can't they can't predict rapes and stabbings, but yeah, so they can see that. I don't know. There, there's an issue there somewhere. Maybe that's Philip Philip K. Dick's problem. Yeah, true. He's LVP. Well, let's get to it. LVP, but, MVP. Oh, no, I have no. more stuff. Oh, I have a few stuff. things too. Okay, go. Um, well, I, I, I have no idea where Solomon Eddie helps Anderton. Like he says that, he, I mean, he's obviously evil. He sets his patients on fire and stuff. He puts them out, but he still sets them on fire. But he goes out of his way to help Anderton, and he's the one that put him away and got him raped in prison. Like, why is he helping him? I know he sets up kind of like a like an obstacle course, you know, like he puts a good sandwich and a bad sandwich and stuff like that. But like, why? I don't know why he's helping him. Like, he should have probably just killed him. I don't know why they're doing that. Um, I also um, I was thinking about how Cameron Crowe and PTA are in this movie. I think they must have been like consulting Spielberg or something because like there are characters like Leo Crow, his name is Crow, <laughs> and the main character's name is Anderton, and these directors are in the movie. I don't know. There's got to be something there. And plus, Cameron Crowe had just made a movie with Tom Cruise the year before, which is a futuristic, superior movie, Vanilla Sky. I don't know. There's got to be something there. And also, you don't get a lot of suicide by shooting yourself in the chest. The only other one I could think of is Heath Ledger in Monster's Ball. And I don't know if you guys have Ooh. any other ones, but that's the only other time I could ever think of that. That's a great call. Suicide in the chest. Almost in Princess Bride. What about the what about the end of Looper? I guess that's a spoiler, but is that in the chest? Which is also kind of the end of this movie too, along with Cruella. Yeah, there's a little Looper in there. Interesting. Oh no, I mean, uh, isn't there something like that in Die Hard? One of the Die Hard movies, the later ones, where he yeah, where he oh says, yeah, that's Mickey right, and shoots himself. But shoots I mean, he shoots himself through, through like his, a bullet his, hole. Oh yeah, he <laughs> shoots himself through a bullet <laughs> hole to shoot the guy behind him. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't technically suicide, but it's close enough. But <laughs> I'm just saying, it, it's not very common to shoot yourself. Yeah, it's a little unusual. Yeah, Die Hard right. Four. Yeah. Can I roll th through mine real fast? Yeah, go. Um, okay. Uh, the vertical highway over the building. What's what is the function of that? That seems incredibly um, not practical, except to have Tom Cruise uh, jump out of a car. Uh, yeah. In a related note, the Lexus factory, apparently they make Lexuses that are full of gas off the factory line. Interesting. Um, the, <laughs> giant the giant plexiglass floppy disks uh, that, uh, you know, Adam's favorite character, Steve Harris has, uh, Tad, uh, it's a little bit ridiculous. Um, I have an Atlanta Falcon Super Bowl take. So this is my biggest issue with the movie, which is that this is a movie about pre-crime going national, right? And it's on the eve of pre-crime going national, this big debacle that we find out has basically been totally orchestrated by Lamar as a way to get back at John Anderson for finding about Anne Lively. How stupid of an idea is that to have before the national vote on pre-crime uh, to have your star player john anderton do something I, the only thing i could think of was the 1998 falcons and eugene robinson the night before the super bowl like it would be like the, the night before <laughs> the voting you orchestrate for your star player to do something that stupid i have no idea what lamar is thinking I, I, it kind of ruins the movie for me to a certain extent um and uh it also brings me to the question how can pre-crime go national if there's only three precogs are they going to duplicate the precogs that to me never made sense do they only point. see crimes in washington dc like I, I i don't get that at all um and then the last one i was going to say is the eye puns 
you know, I have got my eye on you. My conspiracy is why was this character not played by uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger? So he could say, let's kick some eyes. Or, uh, you know, <laughs> um, what killed the dinosaurs? The ice, ice age. I don't know. That's all. I, that was awful. But it, Arnold recall, was in Total Batman. Recall. So maybe yeah. there's a connection. There. Batman and Robin, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't it? Wasn't it the 2002 Raiders where their center had like a mental breakdown the night before the Super Bowl? That's what I mean. I mean, it's like you've got mm-hmm. this big vote, and apparently they vote yes on pre-crime going national in spite of their. And even even Lamar says people don't listen to me anymore. They listen to you, John, and he's the one that commits the murder. Are you kidding me? Why would anyone vote yes on pre-crime for that? Now they, they voted yes the because rigged, because but. he. It even predicted a crime of the main guy of the thing. No, it's a public relations fiasco. And and why would Lamar set it up like that? It kind of ruined the whole movie for me. Like, I mean, it didn't ruin it, but it, just, it was one of those things that, like, it just it doesn't make sense. Why would he set up John in that public of a way that, I don't know. At it, that it, moment. You yeah, know, if yeah, this movie came out in 2022, moment. Zach, you would give it thumbs down. I would not give it thumbs down, but it's not as uh, amazing as it was when I was 15 years old. But it's still a very good movie. You just can't think about it. Turn off your brain. Yes, I agree. (laughs) Absolutely. That was never the way I looked at this movie, though. I I was overestimating it. I view it with love. I love this movie. I'm into this movie. That's why I see these flaws. If I didn't give a shit, I wouldn't bring up these flaws. I, I like it. It's a term of endearment that I like this movie so much. But the gas. I mean, come on. They don't fill the cars with gas in the assembly line. I mean... Right. And how does the how does the car how does the well maybe but how does the car how does one car on the highway make John Anderson go back to the authorities so he has to escape the car and then how does the Lexus car not also why don't they turn off the security system with John Anderson's eyes like security he gets in to the the temple and he gets into the containment department with his eyes you think they would shut that shit off so I mean you can't think about the movie just enjoy it in the moment. Because he wouldn't have ever gotten that far. It was like that was like an over, overextension of security or something, or being overprotective. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> All right. Well, let's wrap this up. LVP sorry, MVP. That's okay. Go in and, and quote of the day. Let's do LVP MVP first. Uh, Adam, you're first. LVP is all Zach's criticisms all of a sudden on this yes. thing. <laughs> no, uh, I, I don't know. LVP, I, get, I don't know. I don't really have anything on this one yet. Uh, but MVP, though, that Rottweiler that j- does that jump scare when they're about to arrest him, if he did, if that Rottweiler wasn't there, he probably wouldn't get away from his buddies. And also Inner Circle, having the Bad Boys theme that, that doesn't get a cover version of it because in oh, 2054, you would think that uh, the cops theme song would probably be different by then, right? You would have to think about it. So it's a lot, a long lasting song that uh, didn't get covered. So uh, way to go, Inner Circle. All right. Uh, I like my... I, I liked your uh, Hurt Locker song better, Adam. <laughs> what then? What's the than, hurt... than the Bad Boys song? What? Are, what's the Hurt Locker song? Didn't you just? Wait, what so... was the song you were just singing? I was singing a song. What? You made up a song on the spot. Oh, my oh. crazy! Reminded twenty minutes ago. Oh, the, okay. The heart, the heart out here for a for a precog. Precog. Yeah. Yes, yeah. heart out here for a precog. Yeah. What's Ben's new worst movie yeah. of all time? He doesn't he have another one? Something worse yeah. than the Hurt Locker? I forgot what he said. I don't know. Killing all of a right. sacred deer, right? <laughs> no, that, what, that's Ben's. His, oh. that's no. His best. no, all right. Moving on. 
my LVP is uh, the guy on the billboard because it totally throws him off and thinking that there's another person in the room. Uh, <laughs> so that's that's my LVP and my MVP. I mean, it's got to be Agatha because she's the best. And uh, John would have never ended up anywhere near where he was if it wasn't for Agatha. Like the whole thing of like stopping for the balloons. I mean, that's just brilliant. Yeah. So that's my oh, MVP. Yeah. Oh, LVP, by the way, the guy who photoshopped those Leo Crow photos. That, that was pretty bad. Considering. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good call. Good That's call. a great call, actually. All right, Todd. Uh, LVP is the Mets because uh, they don't have a deep enough pitching staff this year. You know, and uh, they actually this week, uh, one of their players, I think, was proclaimed that they already had won the NL East because they're up by 10 games in June. Uh, yeah, they're pathetic. Like they, they're always going to be the LVP whenever they're mentioned on anything. And the MVP, I'm going to go with Philip K. Dick because he did write Blade Runner, and that's a better movie. But I mean, he did have the idea for this, which is pretty cool. I listened to uh, Scott Van Pelt's podcast SV Pod, and Stanford Steve is on there, and he's a Mets fan. And he, he they, uh, every week they do an optimism meter on one to ten on how optimistic he is for the season for the Mets. Right now he's at a two because he's a Mets fan. <laughs> yes. Did you see that one? One of them proclaimed that they already won the NL East. I, That's I, insane. I, That's yeah. insane. I didn't see this. The Mariners came back and won. Wow. They did. They did win. All right. Wow. Anyway, sorry. Zach, LVP, MVP. LVP is uh, the uh, pre-crime trauma team because at the beginning of the movie, they uh, go to Sarah Marks and are all like, "You've just been the victim of a crime. Let's walk you through it. You want to talk about your feelings, <laughs> all that." But they don't do it to Anne Lively. They leave the scene. Like, she's she's a victim. What yeah. happened there? You just decided to leave? And then Lamar shows up in his mask? And it's like, come on. I mean, they kind of dropped the ball. This whole movie didn't have to happen if the drama if the trauma team had done their job. Um, I like that Adam liked that point. I, I didn't think the other, uh, the other two of you would care. The, the yeah. uh, MVP of the movie, uh, I'm giving to John Williams because uh, he, we haven't mentioned him yet. I actually really like his score to this movie. This would be in my top eight john williams scores maybe um so is number is eight though, is that what people mean when they say top to... eight is that near number eight <laughs> yes it probably is number eight it's more of a testament to john williams and the score but i do think it's really good and i can tell you it's good because i can hum the score after having watched the movie so it's it it, it works very nice very nice all right time to wrap it up quote of the daytime uh all right, I had I had a quote all prepped, and then then I decided to pull an audible. But I want to say the quote I had prepped first, uh, and that is, um, uh, it's a quote from the original Top Gun, and it's from Goose, and it says the Defense Department regrets to inform you that your sons are dead because they were stupid. Um, <laughs> it's a great quote, uh, but the quote I actually want to quote is from the Legend of Bagger Vance. Um, and uh, the go. reason I'm quoting this is because uh, Bobby Jones in The Legend of Bagger Vance is played by the guy who plays uh, Donald Dubin. And uh, if you if you think about this quote in terms of of his stickman prowess, instead of in terms of him playing golf, it, it's actually a, a pretty good quote. It says, put your eyes on Bobby Jones. Look at his practice swing, almost like he's searching for something. Then he finds it. Watch how he settles himself right into the middle of it. Feel that focus. You got a lot of shots he could choose from. Duffs and tops and skulls. There's only one shot that's in perfect harmony with the field. 
one shot that's his authentic shot and that shot gonna choose him anyways it goes on but that's it's donald dubin spider stick the man. doobie beautiful quoting the legend of bagger vance talking about go. golf no <laughs> other podcast would quote that movie but good great job mm. <laughs> you're welcome you're welcome Todd. Hey, ringer's not stealing that <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my quote comes from Top Gun Maverick, and that is Rooster talking to Maverick, and he says, "You told me not to think," and uh, <laughs> that is absolutely the logline of our podcast. <laughs> well done, well done, Zach. Okay, I'll be nice to the movie. My my quote comes from the final paragraph of Ebert's four star review of it. Um, American movies are in the midst of a transition period. Some directors place their trust in technology. Spielberg, who is a master of technology, trusts only story and character and then uses everything else as a workman, uses his tools. He makes Minority Report with the new technology. Other directors seem to be making their uh, seem to be trying to make their movies from it. This film is such a virtuoso high wire act, daring so much, achieving it with such grace and skill. And this is the important part. Minority Report reminds us why we go to movies in the first place. And I use that quote a, a lot, and I get it from this review. I bet he did. And uh, I also feel that way about Top Gun Maverick. I think we go to movies. Uh, Top Gun Maverick is why we go to movies as well. So, cheers. And of course, uh, Legend of Bagger Vance. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, of course. And of course. the ending of Cruella. Yes. So I'm ne oh. now never going to be able to watch Minority Report the same way again. <laughs> oh, God, me either. Uh, all right, Adam, wrap us up with your quote of the day. All right, I'm glad I, I'm glad I kind of had something good because it's now that I'm the ending quote. Okay, uh, I'm going to quote the late, great Ray Liotta. Oh, good. Uh, Shout out. Okay, so there we go. The more you think about something, the more important it becomes. The more important it is to you, the more important it will become to the audience. And also from Field of Dreams, is this heaven? No, it's the Almost Sideways podcast. So there we go. Yes. Well done. Well done. Yes, I did it. I, Stuck I the landing. Threw it up tonight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, make sure again, you subscribe, rate review all over the place. We'll be back at you next week with another episode until then have fun watching movies and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.